previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. So all these years, when the best way of killing a zombie is to shoot them in the head or dislocate their spinal cord, all those things, no. If you're a large group of you, you could sing, and that attracts them, and they kind of sway in time with it. Hi, I'm Redfield, and I wear an umbrella badge now. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever why this guy at the end does have to be Chris. Yeah. You know, for yeah. the exact same reason the corporation doesn't have to be Umbrella. I think if anybody looks at Seven and says it's not Resident Evil enough, needs to seriously sit down and rewatch Vendetta. Yes. And, and just ask yourself that question again. Welcome to episode 45 of the Project Umbrella podcast, home of a veritable feast of biohazard knowledge, all of which is secretly and safely stored with the father and daughter team currently based in Salisbury. We've not heard from them for a while. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune. Let's see who's joining us today for the podcast. He's just like the Cape Crusader in every way, fighting crime, protecting the streets, all whilst driving a highly sophisticated Bat Ford Focus. It's Batman. <laughs> Hello. Just like the real ultimate biological weapon, he is completely programmable and will do whatever he's told without question. Just ask his wife. It's Stars Tyrant. Hello. His Prime Minister has declared that everyone in her country are racists. So let's welcome that notorious Pakeha Irombi. <laughs> Pakeha, by the way. Pakeha, thank you. And he's in a state of mourning now that Julia Voth is engaged and has better things to do with her life. It's George Trevor. <laughs> I saw that, yeah, I saw that, congratulations what? Do I like Julia Voss? Okay <laughs> Slightly Coming on today's podcast we are going to be skimming through the news Before launching into a discussion all about Resident Evil 2 Unlike the first podcast we did We've all played through a different version of the game Claire A, Leon A, Claire B, Leon B On different consoles So we should be able to share our experiences with everyone And whether this game holds up Especially with the remake due sometime this decade And of course we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of Biohazard 2 Being released in Japan We then of course finish with an RE2 themed version of Neptune's Biohazard quiz. So let's start with the news. That's the news. Has <laughs> <laughs> there, there been any? Um, there really hasn't, folks. The only thinking. bit of news which we were talking uh, off air was uh, the new Biohaze website has launched. We are scraping the barrel a bit of Resident Evil news, but I suppose this is Resident Evil related news. There is one, Nick, actually. Go on. Didn't RE7 hit 5 million copies at last? 5.1. Overtaken Resident Evil 2, wasn't it? It was the third best-selling game in the series. Well, yeah, Resident Evil 2, that number of 4.9 is only for the original PlayStation release. It doesn't include the DualShock. It doesn't include any other platform releases. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, 7 is day and date multiple platforms. 
I which is the big issue. Yeah. That's like there was this news about um, Monster Hunter's been Capcom's biggest release as an actual launch. It has, but it's still not their biggest title. Everyone's like, oh, it's the biggest title they've ever had because it's sold around 8 million copies or so. But technically, the still their largest selling title until it passes that number has, is Resident Evil 5 because somewhere it's in the extent of over 10 million copies. We know that between all the releases, but we just don't have an exact figure because Capcom's never said exactly what it is. But there's so much on one platform and then the PlayStation 4 release just recently sold really well and yeah and it, so it's still their largest sale title overall but by pure single release that's now monster hunter with george returning to the podcast he's been involved in quite a lot of um his own podcasts on crimson head elder you have some advertising space george go for it uh okay for what for the website or for my escorting agency <laughs> <laughs> We did an interview with the Resident Evil 3 director, Katsuhiro Aoyama, and uh, that was really popular. So, yeah, we're trying to get away from the voice actors and maybe do some, try and bring some more developers, and not just of Resident Evil, of maybe some of the other survival horror franchises. But it's quite sad. I mean, Nick, you'll know from being Silent Hill fan and that's interesting because i'm listening back to our the last podcast we did on resident evil 2 for some reason the sales figures for downpour silent hill downpour you were discussing i think saying that more people bought hannah montana than silent hill downpour so i think it's quite sad in a way uh, yeah hannah montana the video game sold more than silent hill downpour so yeah so we're trying to we're trying to kind of i don't know maybe infuse silent hill and other sorts of horror communities to yeah get more proactive there we go. So anyone fancies uh, more podcasts to download, they can listen to um, George Trevor, who clearly can pronounce Japanese names better than I can. So um, I, I think... <laughs> anyone can. My... <laughs> I think your your two daughters can pronounce them better than you can. <laughs> I think that is the news. Like, we're still waiting for Resident Evil 2 remake news, but we won't bore you with that. So with that in mind, we'll now move on to Resident Evil 2 replayed. A bizarre incident occurred in the outskirts of an American suburb called Redwood City. It was later revealed that the terrible disaster had been caused by the T-Virus, a mutagenic toxin created by the international enterprise Umbrella Incorporated for use in bioweapon experiments. Raccoon City Police Department's special stars immediately began investigation of the affair. The case was apparently closed thanks to the efforts of stars members Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine. But the Umbrella Corporation's experiments were far from finished. So, as I mentioned earlier, we have all dusted off our copies of Resident Evil 2 to celebrate its 20th anniversary. We've plugged in PlayStations and N64s, or even the Wii, I think, in one circumstance. And we've decided what disc and what version of the game to play. So, to start things off, what I want to know is how was everyone's experience replaying the old game? Was the replay factor still there? Did it hold up in today's general feel? How was it for you? Stars Tyrant, we'll start with you. So the main game I focused on was the PlayStation 1 version of the DualShock. And I thought this time around I'll play it on the PlayStation 3 emulation. So oh. I'd give it a go on that because I've never done that before. The main scenario I focused on was Claire B. I've always said Leon A, Claire B is my favourite way through. I know there's canon issues and whatnot with that. 
I thought the game was still wonderful. I thought it was paced excellently and I thought even though I'm playing on a big screen through PlayStation 3 emulation I didn't think it looked that bad actually it's probably the worst looking version of the game now and even then it didn't look that bad Uh, we'll get more into details later but I loved it I will forever love it it's one of my favorite games of all time so overall it was uh, an enjoyable experience picking up after all these years more than enjoyable because I think with the way a lot of gaming is these days and we've seen a lot of controversies in the last few months with microtransactions and all that it was just nice to go back to something that is just so purely a video game and doesn't try to be anything different except the fact that it, it was at the time like the production values and everything it introduced to gaming yeah this was a year that Half-Life came out and Metal Gear Solid came out and that 1998 is a year that I think gaming took a really positive turn to like dazzling production values and an almost um, movie-style storytelling. Uh, Batman? Initially, I fired it up on the PS3 and got it on the PlayStation Store, and then I booted it up, and I thought I was playing Minecraft. It was so blocky. <laughs> it looks awful, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it, it, looks, just... it looks appalling. <laughs> so after two minutes, I decided to bin the PS3, and I went on the attic and found my Wii and the component cables and tried it on a smaller-sized TV, and it was a lot better. Still a brilliant game. first sort of 20 minutes I really enjoyed because I'd not played it for a few years, and I just found myself forgetting things. At one point, I was stuck in the main hall i couldn't remember where to go because all the doors seemed to be locked and i felt like i checked every room and there was a lot more zombies in the police station than what i remembered so it felt like for half an hour or so that i was having a proper old school back in 1998 time experience and then once i found the keys and unlocked a few doors you know i started to remember where things were but yeah it's still a brilliant game after all this time i'm glad i'm not the only one who experienced coloring issues i played it just a standard ps version through the playstation 3 on a hdtv it is disgusting in terms of its lighting on new televisions and I didn't really notice it until I got into the RPD and I was wandering around especially on the first floor and I was going I don't remember it being this dark but I, I persevered and I've actually got to uh, just where the dogs are in the basement and when you go outside I couldn't see anything the dark lighting was all over the place but I was quite well into the game at that point and of course you can't there's no memory card on the PS3 either, so you can't just go I'll just play on the PS2 so I quickly put the PS2 on and the lighting of course was infinitely times better and that was my mistake emulating it through the PS3 um, I just cannot cannot recommend it on anything and the only way to combat it was to put it on dynamic lighting mode on the TV which is really only on my TV reserved for um, HDR stuff and it artificially lit it to acceptable levels so you could actually see what the hell was going on but um, yeah I'm glad other people experienced it and took drastic steps it just does not hold up through PS3 emulation I declare A so we'll get to that. George, what did you do? What was your experience? And uh, um, did you enjoy I, it? <laughs> I wanted to play the N64 version only to discover that I, I lent it to someone more than literally more than a decade ago. Um, <laughs> someone who I haven't spoken to for like seven or eight years. So that's going to be another expensive purchase on eBay. So I played the GameCube version through the Wii, wondering whether using the component, the composite cable would make it look any better. Because, yeah, yeah, I've had the same experience as John playing it on the PS3 store. It's pixelated beyond recognition. These were probably my least enjoyable playthroughs, very much so because I've been playing a lot of Resident Evil 3 recently, and I didn't realise just quite how superior a game I found Resident Evil 3, just with a little few improvements, which
which also looks a lot better. So it looked a bit rough in places, but you know, you guys, what you've said is right. It's an absolute classic. It will never diminish over the years. A couple of things I particularly liked. It's just such a breath of fresh air to play a game as compared to a lot of recent modern games that doesn't hold your hands. It almost felt like an RPG in terms of finding items that you weren't sure how they would then interact with the environment. You know, do you place that in that hole or twist it around that, you know? And just like John, there were a couple of places where I couldn't remember whether I needed to use the valve handle or the crank and where to go. So it's that fantastic thing that no matter how often we play it and how old it is, you know, there's still those moments when you kind of feel like a noob again and you're confused and you're trying to investigate what's going on. It's fantastic. Rumby, uh, I was playing Leon A and uh, I played on the Vita, which Ooh. was a nice change because I mean, I didn't have to do it. was the same digital version, but it looks perfectly fine on a handheld screen. So that was a nice uh, change of pace. I had considered playing it on the PS3, but I'd seen a lot of the games, including those on a HDTV and it's a pixelated compressed mess and even putting a smoothing mode on doesn't help because it's all pre-rendered backgrounds. So it makes very little difference. I think I've been relatively realistic about the whole series as it's aged anyway. And so the things that were glaringly obvious for problems had kind of stayed as I expected. And the things that were great about the game continue to um, stay great. I think it had been so long since I played it the first time I picked it up. I was like, oh my God, this is way harder than I remember. How did I... I can easily remember playing the same scenario in like an hour or so. Like when I knew it inside out. And now I'm like, it took me a long time just to get to the RPD without making sure I didn't get chewed to bits and overall I mean, it is exactly as you were all been saying it, these things it's, it's, it doesn't handhold you there is a challenge and a mystery and a, trying to remember everything and yeah it's, I can't say anything else otherwise that you guys haven't said. I think for me I've always made no bones about the fact that it's never been my favourite game just because I came to it after Resident Evil 3 so I've never quite held it in the same regard as everyone else. I've loved it but it's never it, I've always had an RE3 but playing it again I thoroughly enjoyed it talking about surprises and things like that i forgot how difficult liquors are Mm. generally generally speaking because you think oh there they are you have to shoot down yes but then got to get close to them without getting killed and uh, i think the first time i sat down and did the uh, the replay i was on caution i think and i thought oh that's all right liquors they're not that bad dead one shot couple of slashes gone and i hadn't saved that feeling of absolute annoyance i hadn't saved and there's no retry no 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 (laughs) it's back to the loading screen at the beginning you're like oh god but that's great that's what it should be like and what was quite good because i played it for so long i forgot which point is in scenario a and which point is in scenario b so for example where you put the red jewels in the busts i think it has the camera angle with that kind of glass dome and the liquor falls down and i was going in going oh i remember this room liquor falls down but it doesn't in a Mm. it only does it in b but i was like oh crap so i was like going in there you know armed to the teeth whatever i've got and it just never ever happened <laughs> but i was cautious every time i kept coming back in i thought like, it's gonna come now it's gonna go and it never did it surprises like that and even the ones i knew about like the liquor jumping through the the witness protection room jesus did i jump <laughs> Jeez. that got me as well i went in the other room first where it's on the ceiling and I thought, oh, I'll get here, you bastard, so it doesn't jump through the glass. <laughs> so I, I killed it, and then I went in the interview room about half an hour later, and another one came through the window. <laughs> and I thought I just wasn't expecting it at all. Oh, wow. So if you kill the... you get two? Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't think you did. 
Oh, fantastic. It's great that we all had the similar experiences because, again, with the liquor, how many times have we replayed this game and I completely jumped out my skin with the one I was playing Leon A and towards the end when you're in the lab and the one that falls down from the vents, yeah, almost like, yeah, almost like an alien film. Yeah, and that got me. I mean, the other thing I loved about those green ones, the more mutated ones, if you've ever tried running away from them and if you get that angle where you can see the back of you running and you can see them chasing behind you and they kind of launch through the air and swipe with their claws and it makes that sound and, again... I mean, testament to the designers, you know, compare it to how games look today and the production values that go into games today to make them as realistic as possible. And there are very few games that would still make me jump out like that. Mm. I even find the idea that you can walk into a room and you can hear the breathing. It's like that. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, there's liquors in this room. Oh, fuck. You know, like, it makes you instantly way more cautious. You're like, where are they? Which angle am I going to? Mm. They're in a corner. Like, it's yeah. a really good bit of solid design. I thought RE2 was a master at that. You have it with the dogs down in the basement as well. You hear them. and You don't know how many, they're about four, I think, in the end. But you just, you just hear the of the dogs walking but you can't see them and i think also in the you can hear the zombies in the uh in the corridors underneath the vacant factory they're wandering around but the camera angle means you can't see them so you're kind of like creeping up to a corner you know there's some of the naked zombies as well at towards the end you can hear them but you can't see them yeah it was um, certainly orderly it was a very very good game um what i thought we could probably do because we've all played different versions we could go through the main points so starting with the the street section and then the rpd as to what people's personal experiences were during that in their particular versions uh, in particular how the the character dynamics the, the voice acting is notoriously shoddy but actually i think this is probably one of the better games I and mean, i think the acting is actually although it looks quite shoddy i've never done claire a. i'm always a, a leon a person but i thought no i'll try claire a. i thought claire acted beautifully throughout the game and I felt that she, she came across as extremely genuine. I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, Alison Court has been so endeared to by the community over the entire time that she'd been doing the voice. It's just because straight from get-go, the character was so, such a strong presence. Her performance was great, you know, like, that is exactly as you're saying, and she was consistent with that through all the games, no matter what, which is why everyone was kind of, well, not everyone, but lots of people were frustrated when she wasn't, she didn't come back, so. Mm. Well, I think in my experience, I found that you saw her in the maternal role but at the same time extremely determined and so when making a lot of her radio calls to Leon she was like right we're getting out of here we're sorting this out and then later in the labs it was like I've got a few things to sort out Leon go pick up Sherry by the way do it yourself I got, you know, it showed a bit of development throughout her time and by the end she was quite battle hardened but still had that overarching desire to be able to um, you know want to be able to help Sherry and I think that was testament I said to Alison Courts's performance but I, actually I think it was well written as well and it, I don't, yeah it's a writing it as get, well yeah it doesn't get enough credit at times people go oh it's crappy voice you know b-movie kind of acting and I, I think that's slightly unfairly put towards certainly this game that's probably a point i should have made earlier as well like just the fact that it was really on that cusp i mean it's like this and middle of your Sod and a few of the other ones that really started to take the actual cinematic concept into a story arc and i mean it was the same with the way that this was written you know they did it very differently than any other game had been written at capcom at the time you know and it's set a precedent because once they you know having this idea of flagship and having a writer and having input on a lot of the other titles coming in to create more kind of heavy-handed 
these actual film style narratives was a big push and it you know it helped this game be what it was this game would not be as memorable if it wasn't for the character interactions without mm. the zapping system without those sorts of elements i think what's part of that as well with maybe going with the, the whole film production and the fact that it's lived so beloved in, in the hearts of so many fans and sort of various different characters is the fact that the minor characters it's surprising how much biography they're imbued with. You know, Robert Kendo, it shocked me actually on a playthrough just how little he appears. And he's literally, you know, just a couple of lines, he's there, then he's gone. And he's part of like almost video game history, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah, just, and you know, other various characters, you know, that have a lot of biography and yeah. You have to just think back as well, back to 1998. So obviously, we, you know, you'd played through the first game and that was like a you know, fairly lengthy time to play through and finish it. And then you did that with Resident Evil 2 and obviously you pick your character at the beginning. And unless you knew about it. And bearing in mind, th- these kind of things weren't widespread unless you read magazines because the internet wasn't really that big back in the late 90s. So when you finish your game and you think, I've cracked it, I'm really happy, you know, you get the invitation at the end to play it again. And the other perspective, yeah. And, you know, at the time, I can't recall a game that had ever done that. And I was blown away by the fact that you were seeing the same events from a different perspective. The The first time Claire used the radio and you were seeing the other side of the conversation, I was like, oh, you know, it was like one of the first times gaming really felt like it was taking that next step in terms of how to construct a narrative. That's exactly, because I remember, I knew this, because I'd read magazines with information about it, but I remember the first weekend playing it, I was so obsessed, I played through all four scenarios in the whole (laughs) weekend. Like, me and my friend just sat there for the end, like, we finished school in the evening, I was at my late high school years at that stage, and we just sat there and played Friday through Saturday through Sunday and just obsessed over it and then played all the mini games and everything as well and it, it was because it just was so well crafted it was so massive it was huge like games just didn't do that exactly as you said like this did not do that at the time it was a very uncommon thing the only other thing I could think of at the time was like I remember Castlevania something that I had come out the year before and when you finished the game you actually realised actually no it's not it's only half the game and the entire castle mm. is, there's a mirror version if you knew about it and it's just like wow okay that was huge as well but like those sorts of things were not common i mean there was an uptake in the industry like rpgs were really starting to take off in the western areas so they're kind of lengthy like final fantasy 7 had come out and i remember lots of people spending a lot of time playing that and i think it, it became that era of these very big event games that it was that far into the console generation and you know it just was the right moment for the game as well i think um the first time you know and bearing in mind like the fmvs in the movies in the original game you know were infamous in their awfulness <laughs> you know as much as i think everybody you know the resident evil community enjoyed them we never knew they weren't anything else other than terrible and when resident evil 2 came along i remember watching the intro for the first time and obviously you couldn't watch these things on YouTube back then. So the first time you saw this was pretty much the first time you booted the game up. And I remember just thinking how well-directed the opening movie was, you know, when Leon and Claire arrive in town. But the way I felt watching, and I've said this so many times on so many episodes, but the Birkin versus Hunk sequence, oh, yeah. the first time, and even now, I still think that sequence holds up now. You know, watch a good HD version, it's still magnificent. The music I, and everything about it is just wonderful. But at the time, in 1998... There was nothing like that, really. No. So I completely agree. Honestly, I think even now, yeah, the age of the actual CG has kind of obviously diminished over time, but the actual storytelling it does, the visual storytelling it shows, the fact it flips back and forth on narrative, because obviously it shows you the truck driver 
read this is the opening anyway so i mean but like and shows you the character perspective and sets up a scenario and creates a, an intrigue and separates the characters and all that is perfectly it's so perfectly crafted it holds up exceptionally well and then yeah all the other cuts and especially that the birkin one oh my god it's still the music helps with the the style just the the way it's crafted is it's like a classic film you you enjoy it for the storytelling aspects it still does an amazing job there was just a point about the music going on i'd also be curious to know just how the production levels of the music at the time fared to other video games because to me it's got one of the best scores of any video game it's just wonderful you know the marshalling yard particularly and it just goes hand in hand with the pre-rendered backgrounds that is an element of this game that just can never age i think musically 1998 was again a bit of a turning point because you've obviously got the metal gear solid release which had just incredibly good music resident evil 2 i think's one of the series best and uh, you know square were doing things like with parasite eve the music in parasite eve is just incredible and again that was a game that had like dazzling fmv production values I agree, yeah. It's at that time, it was that late 97, early 98 really started to push what people wanted to be doing with CD soundtracks on those games. I think uh, what makes a lot of the... And this isn't leading into a remake rant. I'm sure we'll get there eventually. But, um, <laughs> what, how many what, minutes in are we? I think we've done really no, well. No, we've just said about how strong those cutscenes were in 1998. And that's why I just find it all the more disappointing. Just how they couldn't recreate the magic of these moments in Darkseid. Mm. You know, you... you you look back through the Hunks team sequence in Darkseid Chronicles and it's so poor. There's just no drama. The only version that's managed to invoke the original, I think, is the Outbreak opening cutscene, which I yeah, think yeah, is okay. very well done. Well, they had to do it almost from a completely different perspective, didn't they? By, using, yeah. by having that kind of mouse view and then it helped that it had the, the awesome music in Outbreak. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 the opening of Outbreak. I mean, that's just yeah. wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll start with the streets. I mean, generally, the two A versions are very similar mm. going into the streets. Is it unusual that, you know, you're just literally thrown in? I mean, if you actually take... Each each screen individually it's got some of the most prevalent enemies than some of the latter stages that you know i actually find the first few screens you know when i first played the game anyway it was like what the fuck you know you're just dropped on this street full of zombies straight away well it was such a common thing that i remember at the time when it came out i don't know how you guys felt about the first time you play you're watching this cutscene and the cutscene ends and you're just standing there and you're like you kind of it takes a little bit of time before you yeah. realize that the game started and i remember people saying to me they didn't realize the game had started and there's like fire and they're like oh this looks cool and all of a sudden a zombie would just wander up and start gnawing on them and they're like, oh shit you know oh i'm actually playing oh crap you know like and then realize that was such a common thing to be said in the early days like i remember that a lot it'd be really interesting to know if firstly they did that in any remake but also how modern gamers would do because they're so used to tutorials and you yeah. know training levels to suddenly go you're on go even in Resident Evil 1 you kind of got a bit of a tutorial you could explore the dining room at your own pace get to grips with the controls you only have one zombie lots of build up before you had anything particularly challenging but Resident Evil 2 it's bang you know right in your face you've got about what four zombies surrounding you either fight or run I recommend run. Yeah. Well, you've got a zigzag. Yeah, it's a zigzag between them all. Which, again, is a sensible design. Like, it it is hard, but it's a sensible design. Like, it gives you this opportunity once you realise you can go, okay, yeah, they're all kind of scattered and I can zigzag. I think the hardest bit is actually run by the gun shop. You're carrying the corners, the two, and if you misplace yourself, you can walk straight into one of them. Oh, yeah, just outside Mm, of Kendo. Yeah. 
Yeah, because the camera angle but changes that... from looking up the street to down the street. This will probably be a good point because I think me and George have been talking about it before. I think this is the first point where I felt that certainly the 180 spin was lacking in the controls and I felt these the so-called tank controls were very tanky and it didn't help. Now, Sean, you may have some different views because you were playing DualShock version. I can only assume that you can use analog sticks yeah. in the DualShock um, version. Does that well, help? No, because it's not true analog. It just basically mimics the D-pad controls, but you just use the stick to do it. So, like, you can't just, like, proportionally move it and your character walk speed will increase. The walk speed remains until you press the run button. The turning rotation is as though you were just pressing left or right on the D-pad. I had to deal with this problem on the beta because it's the dual shock version as well, and so the, the sticks work that way, but then I realised it's not any better than using the D-pad, so I was doing the same thing and just using the D-pad. It's a shame. I felt a bit disheartened at the beginning when I first started playing it, because I thought, oh, I don't necessarily remember it being a bit better, but I think, you know, after playing like Code Veronica and 3, you remember, yeah. especially Remake as well, uh, it was slightly more fluid, and the controls were a bit clunky to get to go with, and I think the number of times I was hit by zombies trying to avoid at the beginning was um, more down to my lack of... Um, skill less <laughs> which version did you play then Nick it's just a standard PS1 version so it wasn't the DualShock version wasn't the DualShock no so so uh, you, you had auto aim off by default oh I was going to come to aim because I thought that would be helpful I was about to say that too yeah. you have to turn it off in the DualShock version by selecting type C I think I never had aim on, and that I wasted a few ammos over the game. I hate auto-aim. I, I always switch it off if I've got the choice. I normally play it again without auto-aim, but I had to turn it on for this because it just the lack of that 180 spin really made it for the first time for me. Like I said, it was my least enjoyable of all my playthroughs of RE2. The tank controls really yeah. kind of felt emphasised by that lack. And I think, again, it may be evidence that we don't need to remake because with RE3, you know, no major changes, but just that little you know tweak with the gameplay. Uh, and that's really all RE2 needed you guys have to think about it in the terms of 1988 as well I mean so the, you had the original release and then it was the Japanese version had the order but the US version did I'm pretty sure it wasn't added until the director's cut but if you skipped over the director's cut 2 was the first time like that was the improvement the auto aim in 2 was basically the 180 degree turn of 3 because oh, people mm. had said how hard you know it had been to aim sometimes at things off screen and so they went okay well we've added that into the Japanese version we'll make sure it's added for this director's cut and 2 it basically what the equivalent of what ended up being the 180 turn for three was i've got to ask as well then nick so were you playing the 50 hertz version yeah it was just a standard uk ps3 yeah (laughs) because resident evil 2 does play really badly on the uk version controls are really sluggish Oh yeah, I did find that. I was disheartened at the beginning of the game, but I got into the swing of things. <laughs> this is just bizarre, because I played the PlayStation 1 emulated version on PS3, and I thought it looked alright on, on the TV I've got. I don't have a 4K one, I've just got a 1080p plasma, and I thought it looked alright. And I found the controls so tight. I mean, I, obviously, you do miss the 180 degree turn, but I, I did find it like really responsive, and I actually was impressed by how responsive it was. It's what? interesting how we've had different experiences. Yeah, because what version uh, would I have been playing in terms of 50 or 60 hertz if I'm just playing the GameCube version. 50. So when I put in Dead Aim on PlayStation 2 and it gives me the option of 50 or 60. Yeah, you pick 60, you'll be fine. You're playing the same as the rest of the world. But the GameCube re-releases, Resident Evil 0 and Remake, when they were releasing them, had 60 hertz options, 2, 3 and Code Veronica didn't. I remember at the time I hadn't really had any experience of Resident Evil 3 at all when these came out on GameCube and RE2 
2 I'd briefly played on because uh, I'm not sure of the time scale between it coming out on N64 which was very very late and then coming out on GameCube because I hadn't played it much and I remember going at the time I remember in the video game magazines the Fura and Ari of you know fans that they, these were completely straight ports they both came out on the same day didn't they 2 and 3 on GameCube yeah. 1999 each yeah, so quite a lot of money in the fact, yeah, just straight ports. That's interesting to know because I always wondered whether choosing 50 or 60 on Dead Aim makes a difference. And oh, I, 60 is the only way to play. So, well, playing 50 hertz, I had the same experience as Nick. The controls were really clunky. If I was in your position, George, I would actually favour taking the graphical hit on the PlayStation 3, PlayStation 1 emulated version over it looking better just because you'd have the proper game speed. It'd be great to play that and, and see the difference. I'm definitely going to do that. Because the emulated versions, the versions that are available on the PlayStation Store in the European regions are still just the US versions. They didn't even bother porting the PAL versions and then they just took the code and the copies of the US one and just put them on the PAL Store for everyone to play. It's kind yeah, of... except the DualShock version, isn't it? Yeah, it's the DualShock, which is the same as the US Store. I think it's only the Japanese one that has the non-Dual Shock? I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Um, sorry, that's not what I meant. Uh, the Director's Cut Dual Shock is PAL version on the... Yeah, I've got the original, yeah, they released that as a PAL that's version. strange. The other thing that's really telling, like, if people want to see the difference between the speeds and they have both copies, Gatling Gun is the perfect example of how you... It's <laughs> so slow! Yeah, <laughs> it's so slow! For people who don't know, because everyone's obviously reacting and they know, but if you don't know... The US version, it's like, the UK version is like, it's so bad. Running away from Cerberus in the PAL version is like a sluggish and entirely undramatic affair. Running away from them in the full speed version is actually like tense and scary. Well, that's good from these podcasts alone finding out I'm definitely going to play the emulated versions. TV setups aside, I mean, if you've got a Vita player on the Vita because it looks cracking on the Vita, actually, it really pops, actually, I think, the image. Yeah. Just for our other listeners, the Vita is a PlayStation console. PlayStation Vita handheld. Yes, Google it. You'll, 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 see, you'll see. I'd really love to know anyone's experience if they've played the PC version because I'm thinking that's another reason why we may not need a remake because just from screenshots I've seen of RE2 and RE3 on PC, it looks amazing. I used to take all my screenshots for the website years and years and years ago from the PC version because it was what? such a clean... Didn't they re-release the PC version about 10 years ago with full quality video, full screen? Yeah. It was about 10 well, years ago quite... they put it on a DVD, didn't they? Yeah, quasi as it was because they haven't kept the original source material, so I think it was just the highest res version that they had available. And that's the same with the backgrounds. There's a big difference between the PC version, much like there is on the consoles, but very obvious. When they developed Resident Evil 3, they maintained a cache of the high-res artwork. And when I say high-res, I mean it was, I think it was 640 by 480 as opposed to 320 yeah. by 240, which it was what they were output as, purely because they knew they were doing a PC and a Dreamcast version in 1999. It was already on the cards so they kept those and the pc version uses the same background assets so the quality of the backgrounds is much higher whereas resident Evil 2 no matter which version is even the re-release version the original backgrounds are just the same compressed 240 versions that yeah. has been on every version right through and so the quality does dip but the uh, character models are really great and the enemy models are, you know, are really good. And everything that's not a background element is really sharp, but they create an added contrast between the backgrounds, which are really low quality and the really high quality character models, which and is that, a bit of a shame. Whereas 3 looks really good because they kind of do really mesh really well. And that's interesting. So I've got two folders of the RE2 screens and the RE3 screens and the RE3 screens, which are from the Dreamcast, like you say, they're like 640 by 480 and they look considerably better. They run exactly the same content that the Dreamcast and PC versions are 
were done at the same time and based off the same thing and done by an, an internal Capcom team for rather than being outsourced. The character models look incredible. They're really sharp. They really jump out. Yeah, and again, I think for, especially for three, they planned that again, knowing that we're going to do a slightly higher res version um, as opposed to the ones in two, which have had to be remade basically to increase their um, details. Okay, so <laughs> the streets. I just wanted a B scenario. How did everyone find the street section? It's painfully short. It's a bit shorter, isn't it? Yeah, it's it? just one street with no zombies on, and then you're at the station through the back door. It was interesting when I totally forgot that back exit in the A scenario, and so when I got to the shed, I went through the door and uh, regretted it. But there we go. <laughs> oh yeah, because no zombies attacked. <laughs> Really overly dramatic music. Yeah, God knows what was going to come out. Oh, God, it's just a couple of zombos, but yeah, not too bad. It reminded me a bit like when you try to leave out through the main door in Resident Evil 1. Oh, yeah. It was good, it was good. Are you the only officer left in the building? Uh, Who are you? Claire. Claire Redfield. I'm looking for my brother, Chris. We lost contact with him over ten days ago. Chris. Jill Berry. Every last Stars team member has disappeared. We should have listened to them. What happened? About two months ago, there was this incident involving these zombie-like creatures in a mansion located in the outskirts of this city. Chris and the other Stars members discovered that Umbrella was behind everything, at the risk of their own lives. But no one believed them. Are you okay? Don't worry about me. Just rescue the survivors in the other rooms. Here, take this keycard. You should be able to unlock the doors in the hall with this. Now go. But... Just go. Okay. Just hang in there. I'll be back soon. So, I suppose the first point of difference, then, if you like, with the RPD, and there's not no big differences between the A scenarios and the B scenarios in the streets, so, but with the RPD, everything starts to change. How was everyone's feelings returning back to the RPD? Did it still strike that chord of satisfaction? It really is not the most suitable place for a police station. I was thinking as I was playing along, let's just say it's a normal a normal day in Raccoon City. You rock up to the RPD and you go, oh, hi, uh, I've got an appointment with Brian Irons? Oh, yes, certainly, mm. sir. His office is on the first floor. Okay, how do I get there? Well, you can either go all the way through here, past all the offices, down the corridor, um, and then up the stairs, back round again, through the library, round there. Or you can risk your life and climb up that emergency ladder. <laughs> well, I was going to say, the other way is, I would say the shortest route to Iron's office, if you were at the reception in the bottom downstairs, where they would take you to the right doors through the other precinct area, take you through the detective's room, <laughs> outside, through the fire escape, and back in upstairs into the hallway, and then out into the other hallway, and up and through the other hallway up to Irons' office. And yeah, it really isn't that well thought out. It is ridiculous. I know there's a degree of, you know, fantasy when it comes to these places, but I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's going to have a I, lot of appointments. Think about the hassle of taking someone from the interrogation room to the cells alone like <laughs> so you're gonna go out and around this long hallway and then out down another hallway and then through some offices and then down another hallway down some stairs 
long some hallways through a garage uh, through another hallway and then we'll finally get to your cells like it's, it's it is quite ridiculous but, but it yeah, was nice to be iconic. back iconic it was iconic and it was nice to be back and um it's a totally different feel to the mansion familiar but still very imposing and... i think that was the core concept behind it it has a you know hall and there's a sprawl to it and they were thinking it in those terms more than the actual realistic believable <laughs> aesthetic value of it i think what got me because it was my first time on re2 was the n64 version was just coming through and like you say hearing that bell and it, i can't put it into words there must be a reason why of all the video games i've been playing since like 79 this sticks out it's like burnt in my memory and the experience and the feeling i think it's just everything the music but most of all for me looking up and seeing this expanse in front of me and at the time being a big fan of rpgs just the wonderment of which way to go left right up and down you know there's so much exploration and you almost feel overwhelmed and you know this this real idea that there's this big like investigation ahead of you and again the fact they don't hold your hand you've got no idea where to go what to do first yeah absolutely absolutely yeah as you say although it is linear if you stop and think about it it is linear you know but you still have to do quite a lot of backtracking the thing is it's linear but it still encourages a certain level of exploration because you've got to work out these puzzles you've got to unlock doors and it gives you a slow progression like it's quite sensible in that way it's different than the original game the way that the um, routes are laid out in the mansion gives you sometimes a few options to go or if i get this key first and go to the store and then you go to explore this area you're playing the different characters it changes that again whereas the rpg even in the a scenarios kind of follows more or less the same path for a chunk of it you solve puzzles in different orders in different ways but realistically your first goal is always to get to the star's office and then so on and so forth mm. it's, it's interesting you say linear because that's always been my biggest criticisms of re4 on particularly re5 and i've never really thought of it that way but i can't deny it because you're right so it's factually it is but the one thing that it does i think that hides the fact that it is that linear is in, in a similar way to metroid and the castlevania games where you can actually see the other areas but you can't quite reach them you know with metroid you know you don't have that extra bonus you know with re rather than a bonus you're finding an item that then opens up other levels of exploration for you but you can kind of see tantalizingly sort of see those areas or maybe not quite interact with them like the puzzle demands if you haven't got the right object well it's always been my thing in theory you could go back to the very beginning if you wanted to and i was trying to think what's the last point you can actually do that in re2 i I don't know i didn't test it but i'm not sure how far you can get back to the rpd when you're in the sewers doesn't let you know does it not let you i I did test it once you get down with that big door we see birkin i think and then is, is that the end point I think so, because with Leon, you're with Ada then, and with Claire, you've got Sherry. Yeah, and she's about to fall down the chute. I was thinking as I got to the lab, I thought, I wonder how far I could go back. And I, I quickly went back to the tram to see if I could go back. I couldn't go back then, I thought, OK. But um, I wondered how far you could get to the game and actually go back to the flaming wreckage. So before we get on to differences between the scenarios in the RPD, um, I wondered if anyone had any interesting experiences in the RPD that they wanted to share. Um, Any annoyances at the library puzzle or um, the stupidity of the library puzzle? Quite why they have moving bookshelves, who knows? (laughs) I really enjoyed the first sort of 20 minutes. I played Leon B and when I got to the police station, when you get to the back, you see the helicopter crash. Yes, yep. And the fire starts. And what I always do on the B thing, the one thing I can always remember is the valve handle is on the shelf in the eastern office. Mm. So I always go down the emergency stairs, get that, and then go up and put the fire out. And then obviously the tyrant comes in. 
when you get past him, you're in the uh, the corridor outside the chief's office with the helicopter wreckage. And in the B scenario, there's actually a few liquors in there. And one of them did it where it screeches and then flings itself across the room. And it took me down from green fine to red danger in one hit. Yeah, they're bastards. But I managed to limp away and get into the secretary's office. And then from there, I went down to the main hall. And of course, all the doors are electronically locked. So then I had to come back up via the ladder. And at that point, I really was stuck. I was like, where the hell do I go? I've checked every room. <laughs> and I went downstairs again, and there's about six zombies in the eastern office. And then you go out that door into the main corridor, and there's about eight zombies out there. And I was like, shit. <laughs> And it took me ages. I thought, where the hell do I go? And then I eventually remembered. I thought, it must be the helicopter crash. The dead cop must have a key on him. And I went back up there. And that exit is then blocked off from where the tyrant came through. So for about 10 minutes, I really was stumped. It was like playing the game again for the very first time. And then I remembered it's the storage room beyond the chief's office where you put the two red jewels. The key card is in there for the computer. Oh, it is. It's on a box, isn't it? it? Yeah. So once I got that and unlocked the main doors, then everything started to fall back in a place then but that first 20 minutes felt really good it was like playing it again for the first time because I really was stumped as to what to do Rumpy there was things I'd forgotten little bits about like the library puzzle and like generally I think the amazing thing that I realised is this Leon A especially was the scenario that I think most people probably played first of all of them, I think most people probably put Leon's disc in more than clear, yeah. and they were, and you always the first scenario. So large chunks of the very start are very much, and it also goes back to I guess the demo that came with the director's cut as well, which while it's different, is still kind of that same progression of streets to RPG. So the early stuff, the real early stuff, is so ingrained in my brain that I didn't feel like I missed a beat. I was just like, all right, cool. So go here, go talk to Marvin go up here and I get the jewel as I go past because Leon's got a lighter and then I go upstairs and I can go to the star's office and all this sort of stuff. All that was real progression but the further I got in I was like, oh, hang on now, now where do I go here? Oh, check the map, bit. check the map and things like that. Yeah. Check the map, exactly. I know coming up eventually I'm going to have to do this but what do I have to do first? So I had the same kind of thing. After a while I was like, wow. And it was kind of funny as I said before, I knew the game. At one point I knew, especially that scenario, you know, it's inside out that I could do it in an hour the whole game. But God, I don't even know how I managed that now because I just was so many times just going, oh, hang on, Nick, I have to go do this first and then... I have to say, that's quite unique to RE2, because I'm not sure you really get that in RE3. It's a much more linear game in some respects. There are certain areas where it opens up, like, into a hub area, like I think about the city hall area where you can go to the newspaper office or the restaurant. But for the most part, it's a progressive. You go to this area, then you go into this area, then the idea that in the first half you're trying to get to the clock tower, and in the second half you're trying to escape. Whereas two, especially the first times you play it, you're probably just trying to work out where you need to go. That's the other part of it. There's no real obvious end point. It's not like, oh, you have to get anywhere. Until you get into the basement you don't even know that you needed to get into the basement that you needed to be talking to certain people or meeting certain people it's just literally an exploring trying to unlock doors find clues find ammunition survive in the a scenario you don't get into get to brian iron's office and that, yeah. that, that's the point you go ah this is the exit point but then you're kind of building up to find all the stones to get the hell out of there and then um, but you know it takes a long time to get to that point and for all that that's with leon is it's more the basement because you start going through the sewers and but it's the same concept it changes depending on obviously which scenario you're in but yeah it takes a long time you've pretty much explored a large chunk of the rpd by the time you finally realize oh it's time to move on but you kind of do it in the sense that you're just trying to slowly make your way through it mm. it's actually quite cleverly designed but i have to say that about both the original games and the paths and the mansion as well was similarly they thought sensibly about it stars tyrant anything 
that jumps out to you in the RPD, in your scenario? Scenario B, as Claire, just mainly how overwhelmed I tended to get with zombies. I remember the bowgun being way more effective than it actually is. And there was times, like particularly a couple of the areas in the East Office, like the Blue Corridor, I actually got killed because I think I um, put the grenade launcher away and the pistol away and just tried to rely on the bowgun to save some ammo. And uh, it was just, unless you get like a dead centre shot on a zombie, it won't knock down. And I just got mullered, absolutely mullered. But just the joy of how great the tyrant was. What an amazing mechanic to introduce to Scenario B. Just when you think you've got that scenario cracked, <laughs> you know, you, you think you know what you're doing, you're understanding that the items are going to be switched around a little bit, and then the game throws that at you. Just such a tense experience. And uh, although, sadly, I can remember each of his points, the one where he, as Claire, when you're going on the third floor balcony to get to the the bell the, what, what would you call it the, the attic. Attic. when you're going back he leaps up and grabs on the, the sort of railing and climbs up that was a nice little jump that I'd, I'd kind of forgot that. Oh, awesome. Before we get to George with his, I just wanted to say, you're all Resident Evil veterans, so you've probably remembered the, the safe code in the detective thing, but I'd forgotten. 2236. Two, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I had that as my pin number at one stage. <laughs> Isn't it random, or is that RE3 where you, it can be one of three? It's, oh, brick. It, it what, does what, change what, in the N64 version, though, doesn't it? I'm sure there's a version where it changes. It's not 2236 in the N64. I, I might be wrong, listeners. Um, I seem to think I think you're right I think they changed a bunch of the things like that it was in that era where Capcom would kind of dictate that because it was like when they released Dino Crisis and the Japanese and the US versions have completely different puzzle solutions for like codes and stuff cool yeah, because I'm sure I had an RE2 PlayStation guide, because those were in the days when I'd get stuck and have to go to the phone box at the end of the road and phone a, a light. You <laughs> literally, that's one for the teenagers. And, you know, I'm, hi, I'm a 23-year-old man, and I'm speaking to some 12-year-old on the other end of the phone. Can you help me? I'm, I'm stuck in the RPD. George, were you one of the, the young children that appeared on Games Master and spoke to Patrick Moore, <laughs> I'm a bit younger than that. I go back to Dominic Diamond. <laughs> The reason I, I mentioned the code was because I'd forgotten what it was, so I had to go and find the file. From then onwards, I thought, I know, I'm going to properly go through the game because I'd forgotten quite a lot of the files, and I thought I would go through it and read them methodically like I did with in RE7, you know, absorbing as much information as possible. And I got a real sense of enjoyment about reading a lot of the files and all the doom and gloom that led up to it. And I think it remains a testament to the game that, you know, there's one file that says, oh, we should have listened to Chris and Stars and things like that. And yeah. even though they're not in it, their presence is there. And then, well, of course, when you go to the Stars office, you've got, you know, some, you know, callbacks. And the way the files are written and all the reports, and then you start digging a bit more with, you know, a Brian Iron you know he's a bit dodged and then you you know read his dealings with Sherry's father and then that of course plays him very well with Claire A and you go the world building at the time was amazing oh, wasn't it? it was brilliant yeah. and it, if you paid attention and read through all the files as the game was going on it really amplified the game up a notch so. it just gives you such a sense of dread because what you were saying is it the operation reports the two and you, you're just reading like the cops last stand I don't think I'd played a video game before that that really and that's what got me about the George Trevor story in, in RE1 it was just really emotionally strong you really sort of felt for these characters that were absolutely doomed and it, it just feels you as you're retracing almost retracing their footsteps you know just emphasizes maybe at a time when graphics were limited it really emphasizes that dread yeah. so george yeah. did you have any particular experiences in the rpd that um, you wanted to share well, I think the liquor was a little bit disappointing, kind of how iconic it is, and you remember it so well. And the, the first encounter with the liquor is, is all over. I think it's literally just sort of two gunshots and it's gone. But that's why 
I mean, no. Yeah, for me, with the two gunshots, the first liquor you meet, but that's why the liquors later on in the game I really appreciated. Far, far more challenging. Like you say, it was quite randomised. They'd be right on top of you and then they'll, you know, swipe at your legs and you have to point down and shoot them. And sometimes, occasionally, like with the hunters, you know, they just decapitate you straight away. So, yeah, I found some aspects easy batman talks about the number of zombies in various rooms you know almost too concentrated in various rooms and then you go kind of periods of time where you felt a little bit unchallenged other than just you know working out the puzzle the zombies were a lot easier i thought i was finding a lot of the time it would take between one and three gunshots with the pistol to knock them down and they, mm. they would bleed out straight away. They wouldn't even mm. play dead and get up again. Interestingly, in contrast to what uh, Sean was saying, um, I remember the bowgun being absolutely diabolical. And of course, you picked two of them up in Claire's story. And uh, I thought, oh, I'll give it a try. I found it really, really effective. Mm. That's kind of it's quite good, especially the spiders in the sewer. And I'd just leave them. The bowgun definitely works better against stuff like crows, the spiders. Yeah. Um, Brilliant against, it does against the zombies and stuff. I think that was the idea. I've always felt that Claire got the short end of the stick when it came to the weapon side. She, oh, definitely. While the grenade launcher is really good and it's got a great level of variety, it's just she's definitely much more handicapped than Leon. Leon gets the shotgun and the magnum. And, but she gets it so early on in the game, and that's the thing. You are quite well equipped quite early on. Pistol, bowgun, grenade launcher, and that kind of stays your main inventory as you go through the game, unless you want to pick up the submachine gun. I always used to leave the additional stuff in the locker for clear when I would play Leon A, clear B. Yeah. It's clear and clear A. It does rob um, scenario B of all its difficulty, though, if you leave at the side pack and Mm. um, the machine gun. Mm. So, one of the distinguishing points, obviously, in the RPD is we've got Sherry versus Ada. If we start with the kind of Leon element, how did everyone find their interactions with Ada? Was that still as believable as, as everyone remembers? Well, I think it's a far more interesting relationship and interaction Leon and Ada, rather than Claire and Sherry. I mean, that might depend on the gamer, you know, where they're coming from, but I enjoyed particularly the voice acting of Sally Cahill. She did Ada very, very well. There's one scene where Leon, just before you take over as Ada, and he says, oh, I didn't actually get a chance to introduce myself. You know, I'm Leon, the RPD, Leon S. Kennedy. And Ada's character model just kind of shrugs. She doesn't say anything. (laughs) Just shrugs her shoulder like, so fucking what? You know? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which is great. It is a great moment. I saw that as well. And I was just like, wow. But this goes back to what we were talking about, about characterization. They had these fully formed ideas of who these characters were and they mm. they knew that Ada was a no-nonsense <laughs> person who was out for what she wanted and didn't give a shit about other people basically and that's the point of the character arc is that later on when she has these comments about redeeming herself and all this sort of stuff it kind of is to play off against those cold moments where she was quite standoffish with them and all that sort of stuff I think it's really clever I, honestly for it to come across so clearly with the character animation yeah. of the time is pretty damn impressive and it's nice to see Leon so young and naive again you know i'm a police officer i must protect you we're a team and all this crap so normal mm. so normal mm. <laughs> not his james bond-esque i was gonna say riding motorcycles <laughs> shooting serious mm. on a, a new York highway killing so, civilians <laughs> i tell you what though this is obviously pre-ada's fight training though i was i was watching the scene where her and annette have that cat fight and she bitch slaps her over the fence it's <laughs> c- completely different to the fight she has with the uh, svetlana in um damnation <laughs> well well you say that john now. but it's a good thing we've got a remake coming along the way <laughs> oh here we go yeah it'll turn into some massive massive fight now and then she'll pull out the lipstick rocket launcher yeah 
I tell you what I noticed, some of the zapping stuff doesn't match up, because I always assumed when you play as Claire and you meet Sherry outside the police station and she has like her little side mission where she goes into the chemical plant to mm. get the key, I always assume that's the point where she bumps into Ada and drops the pendant, but that doesn't actually match when you take the radio conversations into account. Oh, that's fudged a little bit. The timing doesn't also kind of work out when you actually think about it in some of the cases. Mm. When Claire radios Leon to say she's found the girl, that's when Leon's just pushed Ada up into the ventilation shaft, but Sherry and Claire are in the chief's office at that time. In the art gallery, yeah. And then it's later on when Sherry goes into the chemical plant, so it doesn't quite match up in that regard. That's only in um, Claire A, Leon B, isn't it? Mm. Sherry doesn't meet Ada in um, no. Leon A. Claire B. No, she doesn't no. have a pendant on. The whole story arc with Claire and Sherry, which has become the only pure canon parts, because obviously it relied on Sherry's character in the later games, is from Claire A, that whole thing with the uh, vaccine and all that sort of stuff. Rob, you're more likely to know, at the time when Ada Wong was a kind of announced as a character, was there a degree of excitement within the community at that point that's kind of directly linking in with the first game? Or... Yeah, there was a lot of speculation leading into it, unsurprisingly. It was one of those things, because obviously they had announced it and the demo came out, and she you get the hint of her at the end of that original demo that was with the director's cut, and so we all kind of knew, and then the actual press reports all started saying that this was the character and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, it was, but it was actually kind of a short-lived thing, because that only came out a few months before the game launched. Oh, I see. Okay. So there was a lot of speculation in a very short frame of time. And of course, the community was very, as it is still is, can be quite rabid about small details. <laughs> the problem was there was a lot of stuff going on. I mean, you had this whole change from 1.5 to 2, and not all the community really understood, especially at that time. It, the information was, it's kind of weird. It takes a long time for sort of that information to get through. And it didn't help that Capcom had kind of, there was a period of time between, I think, around the E3 for a few months where internally, obviously, the development had completely switched from 1.5 to the new version. But Capcom had to publicize the game was still coming and had delayed it and all this sort of stuff. So there's infamously, like if you go back and look at the E3 reels, they had stuff from both versions of the game in the reel because they needed oh. to flesh out the content. So there's scenes of Leon that's still relevant to 1.5 and the clear stuff's all relatively new because she's the new character that they had changed in and so they headed her stuff but the Leon stuff in order to flesh that out there's still a few scenes from 1.5 in there and that was the same with the kind of like the marketing and publicity up for a little while in the middle so people were like oh what's this why all these changes the characters been changed from the one that was originally announced and the screens looked different than the one so there was a lot of conversation around that too so and that was still continuing on right up until the game released even after the demo had come out um yeah thanks for that Rob it's always useful to know um I would say, just as a kind of final point, in terms of the RPD, I like the fact that there was quite a few kind of optional things you didn't necessarily have to do, such as the developing of the photographs. That was totally optional, but I like that. As I said, it kind of fleshed out the background story and you got that kind of hint of the G creature um, in the test tubes and things like that. And mm. also the use of the cord. Where you put the cord, my memory wasn't good because I, ch- I chose it wasn't the closest that I was at at that point, so the one by the steps going down to the basement. Which is the sensible one to do because it's the one that you backtrack the most. That was my line of thinking, but I'd imagine, does that affect... Is that part of the zapping system as well with B? Yeah, it's, so that... it's the first time you go in the library after you've done the puzzle in there. The crows come that the cord malfunctions and all the shutters open and the zombie ah. the zombies pour in. Oh, there we go. That's cool. I thought I chose the right one. But uh, looking at kind of Sherry and Claire's relationship, also you want to bring in Brian Irons' role into that. I don't know. I mean, he's weird. 
at the end of the day. <laughs> and, you know, it's a total change of pace. And, you, you know, you're kind of in the in the RPD and you've kind of got used to it by now. You've kind of accepted it's stupid in terms of its layout. And then you eventually squeeze past, like, the... We haven't even touched on the bathroom issue. The lack of bathroom. Yeah, the lack of bathroom. <laughs> you squeeze past the kind of flaming helicopter. Then you eventually end up in a Brian Irons' office. And then, and then you see tigers and birds and... You know, with all the stuffed animals. Like, it's, it's a great little tie in the way that, you know, that's how he's spending all the money and kickbacks yeah. he's getting from Umbrella and, you know, adds another layer of depth to the character and the fact that, you know, these ornamental, well, these animals, you know, actually ones that he stuffed himself. And Yes, yeah, so that makes it creepy, but then also ties it into the whole RPD and you go, actually, this kind of now makes a bit more sense by doing that. Because you don't get that in a B scenario. The secretary diaries highlight it as well. That's, when he goes, yeah. he goes mm-hmm. spare at her messing about with some of the um, items, isn't she? Yeah. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I thought you were another one of those zombies. Are you Chief Irons? Yes, that's me. And just who are you? No, don't bother telling me. It makes no difference. You'll end up just like all the others. That's the mayor's daughter. I was told to look after her, but I failed miserably. Just look at her. She was a true beauty, her skin nothing short of perfection. But it will soon putrefy, and she will turn into a zombie within the hour like all the others. There must be some way to stop it. In a manner of speaking, there is. Either by putting a bullet through her brain, or by decapitating her completely. And to think that taxidermy used to be my hobby. But no longer. Please. I'd really like to be alone now. Because in Leon A, do you meet Brian? No. no. Leon doesn't meet Brian at all. Leon A, you don't even have to go in his office. In Leon B, you have to, because yeah. the crank's in the back room. But crank's on the back, yeah. It's all optional, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, because you go through Ben, and you have the baby G thing through Ben. comes out of him, yeah. as opposed to Yeah, you. that's why you don't have to go through that, and then you go through the sewers rather than through the torture dungeon. Yeah, I like... I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, you see the fact that the mayor's daughter is lying provocatively, albeit dead, uh, on his desk. And even though the pixelation is terrible, you can see the pain... <laughs> in her eyes and just I mean I just remember the very first time I saw that scene and just the horrific kind of sort of suggestion that what's he been up to before or after you yeah. left that room well, yeah. The, yeah but then you see all the stuffed tigers and whatnot. you think is he gonna stuff her in more They're ways gonna... than one yeah <laughs> the original's a little bit more subtle again than dark side because in dark side he just comes out and says it doesn't he mm. whereas in um, in the original there's a really nice line in his diary about how she'll be forever frozen in a position he chooses for her it's really that, creepy that's a good comparison between the two you know the subtleness of the first one actually you're absolutely right compared to with Dark Side Chronicles yeah he is bad and whatnot but he's, he has genuine motive going they've just messed it all up Umbrella why have they done this they've ruined my life I don't care about anyone else blah 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 and he said you read the diary you know he call his extracts but the facts you get about him. I remember at the time you know in, in Claire's scenario you get the facts that Chris has had some investigations done by a private investigator hasn't he? Mm-hmm. And um, it, like, it mentions rape and things like that and I, yeah. and, I remember, yeah. and I remember at the time, I mean god I could only have been a 
young teenager thinking that's quite a mature turn even for this series which is like gory mm. and it's, it's quite a mature turn even in gaming at the time that wasn't a common these days you know it, it matured storytelling is a thing but at the time it was not yeah because they could have made him out really. to be a murderer or or a thief or something but i remember yeah, i was quite shocked at the nature of this physical attack that, that he had committed yeah um i'm sure there must have been specific conversations about that at the time and the decision i imagine would have been made just to make the character really that extra bit more evil or... the funny thing is i just recently i remember there's a, there's been a translated interview from mid 98 or something talking to both uh, sigamura and kaya about um the development of the game and they were talking literally about why they decided to make him crazy like they just decided to go all out there on being a weirdo like they just thought that he, that he has these weird rituals and he's very malicious and it's a really good interview actually yeah, um, and they're just talking about how why he would do it and he's kind of you know the insanity of him because mm-hmm. um, they got asked specifically about how he has quite a strong personality they obviously did spend a lot of thought on it they um, did it's a, apparently... a, a nuance before but said I like, I like Claire's kind of easy chief easy chief it's not going to rub he's, uh, he's gone he's gone <laughs> and then of course you're properly then introduced Birkin um, at that point and what he plans to do and it, and it does take a turn for the worst when it comes with what Birkin is planning on doing to Sherry and Claire works out very quickly impregnation of an embryo Mm. very quickly this that actually came up when i once interviewed lisa jai who played sherry and she was a child at the time and she said they were actually having to have these conversations with her about you know i wondered how much depth they went into and they she said you know they were telling her about the, you know this impregnation theme and yeah again that just goes in with a, quite an adult and it is it is yeah and it's very different it was never kind of quite been like that you've never seen something kind of burst out of someone at that time so um i mean i presume that must have been very much inspired by alien because there's quite a few references yes, to alien yeah. isn't there yeah yeah that's probably the biggest strength on that script there's a couple other obviously other ones but that's probably the biggest mm. okay so i suppose that kind of concludes the rpd uh, unless anyone has any kind of final thoughts they wanted to bring to the uh, to our attention I just like, I mean, obviously the police have all been wiped out and it's just the stories the individual rooms tell. Like when you go in the briefing room and you can see all the chairs laid out and there's like a chalkboard with like the remnants of a battle plan drawn up and you read the reports of how all the officers died. and They're really good storytelling, yeah. Yeah, and they, you said the characters from the first game, even though none of them are in it, which I think was an excellent decision. But like mm. you said, the presence of them is still there through like the stars team picture on the wall and stuff like that. And the other people talk about them you know like yeah. marvin says that they didn't listen to them that they yeah. warned them and and i was just going to say there's little subtle things as well like you know the, for the investigators out there like you go around every single bookcase in the library and it'll say that none of these books are useful none of these books are useful and then you'll go to one really obscure camera angle in the corner and just one row of books it'll say like all these books are about umbrella you know, little uh, hidden things like that. Yeah, I don't think I've got that. Oh wow! A nice little Easter egg if you've not been aware all these years, because I think I only found out about it when we did the series playthrough five years ago. But there's a little box next to Chris's desk, and in that box is the emblems and the Doom books oh, from yes. the mansion. Yeah, yeah, really and, cool. and the um, pesticide thing that you use on Plant Forty Two. Yeah, so they did bring some evidence back with them. I'm quite sure how he would have got those books out, but there we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember playing through it just as a final thing. The, the wife was kind of sitting watching, swearing at the television, going, what on earth is this? <laughs> Highly pixelated pictures. I said, this is the best bit, so I just came up to the liquor bit. I was getting very excited. I was like, watch, watch, I'm going to round the corner, round the corner, and you can see it obviously crawling on the window. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. A great, great little horror technique. And she was like, well, what is it? 
And I was like, did you see it? She goes, it was nothing. I said, not nothing. Come on, come on. <laughs> and they open the door and you get that unique camera angle through that door for only that time. The first time you go through it. Through, through the window, window, isn't it? Yes, absolutely yeah. brilliant. And I was like, you only get it here. She's like, so? I was like, no, it's quality. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting all very excited. One of the things that, I mean, I know, John, you've talked about this a lot over the years. And you just mentioned it with the library there. Is the missing details that you don't get anymore. Like, you know, if you do go into the star's office and you examine every desk, you just get like, you know, like a little bit of description. So like Barry's desk, you know, whichever character you are, muses that the person must be a member of the NRA and things yeah, like yeah. that. And it's just nice to have those details. You know, Chris Redfield marksman trophy mm. on, on I the shelf. I was disappointed there was no first aid spray in uh, Rebecca's rucksack on the side. I was convinced that there was. I thought there was as well. I'm assuming that must be RE3. Because there definitely is in one version. Is there? Okay, so it wasn't, wasn't me just losing my... Mo- R3 would make sense too, because if, say, Jill took it, then it wouldn't be there for in Resident Evil 2. Yeah. No. Every time I go in the Star's office, I always think, oh, Jill unlocked this door about 24 hours ago. Because it's pretty much the only thing that works, you know, in terms yeah. of doors being locked and unlocked and whatnot. That's true. Because I knew the fact was coming, and I couldn't remember when, so I kept kind of in and out, and I was like, oh, come now. And, it just didn't, and, I, was like, well, and I couldn't remember what I needed to do in order to trigger that little cutscene. Did anyone Go- fall for that um, jump scare in the kennel with the dogs? No. no I, I always know it's I'm there, good. so I never do it. Yeah. You get the herb, the red herb off the shelf, and they break free. Yeah. Where was that? In the kennels, there's two dogs in there. When you walk past the kennel, they'll jump against the door and give you a scare. But if you actually pick up the herb off the shelf, I think it's a red herb, they break out of the cells and attack you. Anyway, yeah. I don't have the cells in, in Claire No, yes. you don't. Yeah, yeah. You don't go that way. Do you, you have to wait for the police van to be moved, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I think, again, like you know, I forgot which scenario does what. So when I was in the garage part, you could see the garage, that the van yeah. needed moving, but nothing was happening. And I sort of thought I'd done something wrong, but I hadn't, you know, that kind of thing. So. I think you can go to it later on when the van has been moved, but you, you have to purposely backtrack to go and explore. I think that's the case. Ada! What was that all about? Running off like that was reckless and stupid. Those zombies are everywhere, not to mention that thing that got Ben. I was there, Leon, I know. Look, Ada, as an officer, it's my job to look out for you. But we're not going to get through this alive if we don't work together, okay? All right, we'll do this your way for now. So we now move into the sewers, which probably is the most disappointing part of the game, but that's relative, because I think the overall game still remains extremely strong. And, um, you know, what's a Resident Evil game without a sewer section, in my opinion? I would be interested to know what everyone thought of this, because the scenery's not quite as diverse as it was before. The enemies aren't as particularly as exciting. I personally blame the redevelopment from 1.5 to 2 for that, because... They obviously had a sewer section in mind originally and that and they knew that it padded out the game and then they had to redesign a new sewer system and obviously spent a large amount of time redoing the RPD because we know that they reused and repurposed some of the assets for the lab sections. So they obviously had focus on certain areas and I think like that's why the sewers kind of with the bit that they didn't focus as much on variety as was just get it done and get it done. It just didn't hold up overall compared to the other kind of main areas, in my opinion. I agree, but to a certain extent, it was quite challenging, you know, for the scenario designers because you're going from one of the most iconic environments, you know, buildings in video game history. And, you know, 
contextually to fit with the narrative where are you going to go you are going to I think it's an idea you know survival horror game and matching going down in RE1 into the lower levels you know you're going to go down I think it's a good idea to go down into the sewers I think in environment it works well but for the design maybe you know at the time they couldn't quite give it that extra whereas in, you know in, in the RPD you've got all the Brian Irons his weird and freaked out mm. ornaments but yeah at the end of the day it is just a sewer like, <laughs> yeah. I do think it has the intrigue though, because that's the first time you like find all the bodies of Hunk's team and that, and it, it just started to build up a bit of mystery. There is also a lot of files leading in and out around the sewer entrance and how it was being used, which also sets up a good understanding of what the sewers are kind of being used for, which I really like, and that obviously leads you to exactly that same thing where it connects between obviously parts of the city, in this case the RPD and the uh, our labs. So, well, so of course you meet Annette for the first time, and then that triggers the, the cool cutscene. <laughs> it strikes me that it gives you the false impression that you're close to Birkin's lab geographically at this point because of, you know, you, you see how he was killed and mutated and whatnot and then takes out the Alpha team relatively quickly. But there's a big gap geographically between where they are in Birkin's lab on the outskirts of town and the sewers, which we are under downtown RPD. And that's always been a slight flaw of Hugs scenario and story what? is to... It's, and where it it's, takes place. It's been a bit of a flaw, realistically, in the design of the actual area, too, because if you think logically, especially in the B game, so you arrive at the back of the RPD and there's shops on the street and there's a street and then there's a big backyard of the car park area and then if you take where Leon exits the tunnels underneath the kennels at the back of the RPD and the short distance to the tunnel which connects to the side areas which leads to the area that both Ada and Sherry can get access to and you get above ground you realise this geographically doesn't even match like no. it's not long enough it's not far enough away and then that was further complicated by Resident Evil 3 and the way that the map is designed there too where you see how the street layouts go on the map there so it's very compressed into what would obviously supposed to be a much bigger distance and those things don't match up either so so it's a very similar problem no no there we go that, that was just a, that was just a kind of a thought that I had but of course it's, the sewers you, first time you get to play as your other character in the A scenario that's always a challenge with Sherry and you just hope you get through it it's not particularly difficult I didn't think but it's annoying can someone remind me which one this is the later but not the first time with the yard bit in the boxes but the later one when you get to the other bit of the sewers with the um, tunnel and you have to turn the fan on with the cockroaches which one yeah. is the one with Sherry is it A or B Claire that'll be Claire yeah That is the worst part of the game. Hands down, worst part. I remember three times I was trying to do a no-save run on clear A, and I got Mm -hmm. killed there every time. If you hit one of them, they just swarm, and Cherry has no health, and you just... Die. I don't think you need to turn off the fan though at that point because there's two tunnels you go through. Yeah, um, I think it's just you go through for up a ladder, run yeah. through a straight tunnel, and back down another yeah. ladder. It's where she <laughs> falls in the garbage dump, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And so does Clear A, of course. I should have thought about that. That's just quite bad level design because when you play as Sherry running from the zombies, I don't think they can physically harm you. They can. They can vomit on you, but they can't grab you. Yeah, yeah they can't grab you. Yeah. And I think my least favourite sections are the very frustrating puzzle that you have to solve as sherry i mean just the character model trying to desperately climb up those those <laughs> steps those just high. to its credit the character model is quite realistic but that's when i think the only point of the game it just becomes a little tedious I'd agree entirely. And also, I found this could be, again, due to the uh, emulation. Well, it worked out you know, how to do it. The puzzle just simply wouldn't work. I couldn't push all the boxes in, even though there was a gap. You know, there's only a certain way you can do it. 
And so I pushed one of the boxes to the end of the wall and then I wanted to push the last one in and it wouldn't let me. Oh, you've got to go out the room and start all over and so again. I start all over again. Instead of doing like the left box first, I did the right box first or something like that, then it fit in. But I couldn't jump down the other side to push it out and then back in again. It, it was already fixed in a predetermined place. And when I was looking at it graphically, it would still fit. Push it? Why, why, why wouldn't it go? So I didn't know what quite what was going on there. But yeah, you're right. It's annoying. With Shiri, it is easily my second least favourite box puzzle of the entire franchise. <laughs> I think I know the first one, the uh, Neptune level. In- I thought oh, it was zero. That's got a nice no, thing. Zero is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. The one near, <laughs> near the end of the game with the uh, gate switches, and it's just... Mm. It's not hard, it's just the uh, monotonous. Yeah. It's just painful. Yeah. Oh, you have to do it here. Oh, the gate. Can't move the gate. Oh, turn this way. Uh, uh. Uh. There's another bad one in this game, in the warehouse at the end, where you've got to push the crate down the lift and then move it along oh, to yeah. get to the power room. I always yeah. get it stuck there. It's just bad yeah. camera angles. It's a shame because so, you wonder at the time what the developers were thinking, the designers were thinking, what does this add to the game because I always get that experience in, in the remake you know and one when you're just shoving you know to get access to the Neptune area just shoving the, the th- I mean, you know you're just hefting around these boxes and it's a shame it breaks up the action it, it's very jarring takes you out of the atmosphere in the original it was kind of forgiving because it just ended up like being another puzzle and it felt I don't know what it is about the original one the thing that's most annoying is having to push that one box all the way down the one long hallway yeah, yeah, yeah. but generally it just felt like another puzzle but yeah I don't know what it is about it and the, the fact they continue to do it, it I it always remind me of you know the, the old tomb raider games and you they're all block puzzles you know because you'd always they were, everything was made of squares and you know you'd pull something over and push it and it, yeah just tedious and it just corrects the flow of the game and slows everything down and and it's one of the few things that i can definitely say over time i've not missed them removing you know over time so leon players what was ada's involvement like in the sewers we have the, the dramatic moment where leon's shot well she just sort of says no oh, he's not dead takes off (laughs) (laughs) I always thought this was the defining moment of the Leon Ada relationship in the sewers of all places until near the end it's very one sided it's all very much Leon trying to protect her and look out for her and taking a bullet and you know it is very one sided it's interesting because we get all that reveal I mean from the cutscene is you know Ada and it kind of it's the crux of that story going forwards and and yet Leon's not even a part of it (laughs) yes the funny part it's another nice little example of how the zapping system works in that respect from where Ada knocks her into the water and then when you come down as Claire you see her fishing herself out of the water mm. and which Claire scenario is it you get the unique cutscene like you don't get in any Leon scenario where Claire comes across Leon after he's been shot it's, it's Claire B Claire B. Yeah, you don't get that in any of the Leon scenario. Paul Haddad's acting in that scene is hilariously bad, though. <laughs> it's just like, you know, Ada went after the sniper. The sniper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Not a lot really happens in the sewers in the B scenario. If you've already killed the crocodile, there's just a few spiders in there, and that's about it. I was going to yeah, say, it's, it's the, the same puzzle, exactly the same. Is it? I was going to say, the crocodile, though, is a quality moment. Before you get onto that, I just said the only neat change in scenario B is you, you can go to the other character's save room yeah. and um, raid the other Supply. thing as Supplies. well. It makes scenario B so much easier. But yeah, the crocodile, how many people know you can kill the crocodile without the... Uh, or make it run away without the cylinder? It knocks the wall down and runs away. Does it? Away, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. If you do it in the A scenario, it still comes back for the B scenario, I'm pretty sure. Do I'm, you have to I'm, kill it with the cylinder then? I think you have to then. I don't think you can kill it any other way. I don't think because it doesn't run off again. I think you have to blow it up or get killed. Uh, That's it. it keeps going forward until you 
run out of space. Clearly, Leon and Claire aren't as skilled with their weaponry as Ark Thompson is, who could take out two. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be fair, they're still, we can't really speak for Claire so much, but Leon's still a rookie at this stage. I yeah. haven't quite got his skills up yet. Leon now would take out about seven while doing cartwheels through the air. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I, I can't wait for the remake to do this uh, sequence where um, it'll actually be a quick time event scene where Leon takes aim with his pistol and says, smile, you son of a bitch, as he, as he pulls the trigger. <laughs> he'll pick up a trash can and go surfing down it. And... <laughs> that was snappy. <laughs> oh my God. It's really, it's really interesting thinking back, back to the marketing materials. They actually hyped up this giant beast. And the marketing materials, there's always a screenshot of it in the um, it's... sewer part. It's, it is a great it, set piece. It's so blatant. It's just like, yes, we know this is ripped off. We don't care. Mm. It's awesome. You're going to blow the crap out of this. It's going to pick up a tank and you're going to blow it to and, off. It's you know, cool. visually really impressive for the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's why they showcased it. That's exactly where I was going to go with that. So just the fact that it, this giant creature is coming at you. As you said, some of the files in the series were quite interesting. And you, you, know, so you learn more about the relationship between Umbrella and Birkin and, and, and the nefarious connections it, it, between it, them. I was going to say, it's not even just that, but between that and some of the stuff in the RPG early on as well, you really do start to get the idea of how much Umbrella had its fingers in all the pies, you know, like how much the control it had in the city and the influence it could brought with certain people to in order to have access to whatever it wanted. It is a really well fleshed out, like it, it starts to really open up the idea of how much they're in control and how much, no wonder that the stars members weren't listened to and all this sort of stuff. Now, of course, at the beginning of it, a scenario, people would have been fighting against Baby G, whereas in the scenario B, you'd have had Birkin G1 yep. with a metal pole. How did it... Oh, I didn't even play that, and I'm just thinking about being smashed over the head with that pole. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever floats your boat there, Rob. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I went all gun-ho with the submachine guns, yeah. albeit in 50 frames. <laughs> <laughs> but he actually dies in real time you know the boss battle's over and he wanders over to the thing and falls off but it takes him like half an hour to do that and I was still pumping ammo into it I must have wasted half my clip mm. I found the gym he, he wasn't particularly difficult but the fact that he had his little embryo they're the worst part of it oh they're pissing off weren't they because you're starting to get an attack already or whatever and then all of a sudden one of them latches to your leg and you're like nah I find it amusing how in Scenario B that boss fight is uh, in like what looks like an enormous underground cavern. Yeah. You know, the gantry suspended on what looks like an abyss. <laughs> yeah, the, the H platform, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So that leads us on to the factory. I have to suggest as an opening point, I don't quite know why you ever need to get the map. It does seem somewhat pointless. You've explored most of the area, and then as you get to the main shed, you get the map for a place. Certainly in Scenario A, you are not there for any longer. I think it's more about the bigger picture. Like, if you see the map and you remember it the next time you go through, you might be able to explore as you didn't know, or like the other scenarios. I kind of maybe felt more that way. It is kind of quite a linear section. Did everyone remember to pick up the uh, weapon box key? Yes. Yeah. Of course, in Ace Night, if you're playing with Claire, you don't have the lighter, so you'd have to remember to go back and um, to get it. No, you can still pick it up without the lighter. The lighter only shows you where it shows is. Shows you where it is. Time. You just click around the area, and there's actually a description for it, too. Like It's different, like, oh, there's something here or something like that. It, oh, no, no. I didn't even know that. There we go. 
I do find it so surprising though. Like once you've done the RPD, how close to the end of the game you are. Yeah, I don't, yes, I don't yes. like that because like the lab is very short if you know what you're doing, and the actual you know journey between like the sewers and then the marshalling yard, they're only like small ten minute segments at best. They're not long. Yeah. Um, it is a painfully really, short really, game. I, I don't say, know whether that's just because we have so much bloat in games now yeah. that playing something like that seems streamlined. The simple fact, obviously, is that case. It's like they put a lot of forward thinking into the RPD when they're redesigning it and rescheduling this game after restarting development. And then that whole bit is really built up really lengthy and wise. But then the back half kind of, especially the middle section, fast through. B scenarios are a little bit longer in the labs. There's obviously a few extra areas and the way you get access to the labs is different but it does definitely it is much quicker than the front once you get to the sewers it's all pretty much downhill you're on the, yeah. the home straight it's lacking a guardhouse area really Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, that's yeah. basically it. And a return to the RPD, essentially, like in the same sense of how you return to the mansion after it's the guard a similar, similar sort of building, adjoining building, yeah. I was going to say, I was surprised how quickly, once you are at the labs, you're barely there. Mm. Um, I remember it being a lot more thorough, but that was just clearly false. But There's only really two floors to it, and a third in the B scenario. It, yeah. It's not very big. Did any Claire players bother with the spark shot? No, I love it. It makes the um, Birkin boss on the train platform in Scenario B really easy. It only takes about 15 shots, and it saves all your other ammo and for all, the, yeah. all your other guns. Dead easy fight that's, with the spark shot. Is it? That's why Ooh, I, yeah. I, always, yeah, I always use it for that. There you go. You can constantly change sides on the platform, and he never even gets near you because the spark shot really does stop him in his tracks. Mm. So you can get like three blasts of it off, then he'll jump onto the roof of the train car, so you just run around to the other side, he drops down another three blasts, and you just get him into a, a rhythm that's just really easy to repeat. What I found quite interesting was when I got to the vacant factory, I, I suddenly thought, is this a different factory to the one I was in Resident Evil Zero? Oh, not this again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I thought, no. It's um, an error, guys. <laughs> I know the number on the top of the shed is different, but it's an error. Yeah, I wanted to go see if I find the sky tram up to the management training facility. Um, you've touched up on the Birkin fight going down the tram and of course in a scenario certainly clearly that is the first time you fight Birkin and you're not just fighting him you know you've missed out G1 you've missed out G2 you're fighting him in full Goro mode and um, you know at this point you're like he's tough now you've given us a little heads up with the spark shot that may be a tip but he killed me a few times uh, to uh, change tactics as to how I was going to kill him and um, you know note what his attack patterns were because it's been such a long time because he is he's very fast with his uh, four mandibles I used the um, enhanced shotgun on him and yeah. Got the old smashing the camera angle screen, putting the bullet oh, holes through the glass. Oh, I'm more of a flame rounds type of person, but there you go. But I have to say, the Birkin's music. Mm. That was the first Series time. best. Bloody hell, that's awesome. You know the shit is on when that kicks up. Absolutely sensational. Just going back a bit, though, obviously before you take the turntable down, you get the iconic... T103 appearance in the B scenario. You do? Yes, yes amazing. With the, yeah. with the security camera. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And again, I wasn't sure if you explored that part. I know you didn't have the, the camera angle all the time. I, would, I couldn't remember if you explored that part in um, 
part A. So again, I was, I was slightly disappointed that I was already going down the hatch, if you like, before that, but it's just my memory's poor when it comes to what scenario is what. Again, it, it just comes down to the nice little links with the zapping system, like, you know, Claire and Sherry have already taken the tram car, so you have to recall it back when you play as Leon, and mm. likewise the turntable's down and you have to get it back as Leon. Mm. Stuff like that was a big improvement compared to the original game where it just treated it as if Jill and Chris were in sort of separate universes, really. And miraculously, if I believe, it does also link up with Below Freezing Point for where the where the turntable is. I think it does. They take the train away in Below Freezing Point. Yeah, Ooh. it could be automated and come back on its own. You don't know how far the train goes. But yeah, it's the point because they leave on it, so it's it's down, isn't it? When they get to the point, then they go up. So when they yeah. Oh they, yeah, that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's what's going on. Yeah, and they do retroactively hide the door you enter that in from zero quite well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so. It's interesting because when you do like a serious playthrough like John and I did a few years ago, that marshalling yard actually feels like a hub in itself. Mm-hmm. And it's it's quite incredible to play like a chronological run of the series. Yes. And like how many times you arrive at that location in Outbreak and Zero and then Two. It does feel like a kind of junction point in a sense. One of the long standing debates is about where Birkin's lab is or where the marshalling <laughs> yard is in relation to the rest of the town. The graphics through an HDTV don't help with that, apart from that bright moon you can't really see but sherry mentions it's on the outskirts of town i think if you look you can see the mountain range in the background there's certainly no buildings there's certainly no buildings no so that was my impression i just wondered if everyone else was kind of on the same page when it comes to that yeah good Part of it is that compression I was talking about before with the um, sewers seem relatively short for the distance that you actually travel in order for that to be so far out of town, but it is what it is. You go on the tram, I suppose, but that's the... It gives you a bit of a mystery as to how far away it is, yeah. Yeah. That brings us on quite nicely to the labs, Birkin's labs. Throwing on from your apocalyptic battle with um, William Birkin, you arrive promptly at the labs. In scenario A, you're carrying Sherry, who is feeling the effects of being impregnated by her father, and uh, she needs to be attended to in the security office. Scenario B, what's going down? The turntable stops. It has like a power drain and it stops halfway down. Ada's been injured by that point, so Leon goes out to try and get it working again, and he goes through the vent. So he's on an upper floor, and then the turntable starts up on its own and takes Ada all the way down. And in Leon A, you are just putting Ada in the security office yeah. in the security office now that's the calm before the storm certainly the security office it's all nothing can get you there Claire oh you're finally awake isn't this that's okay you keep it I'm sure it'll keep you safe thank you Claire even though I'm an only child Neither of my parents ever spent much time with me because of their work. I grew up alone, but now that you're with me, I finally have someone to rely upon. (laughs) Sherry, rest here for a bit. I'll be right back as soon as I found the antidote for you. As you go then into the main kind of hub area, clever me forgot that if you go back, 
at some point, you are suddenly attacked by at least six naked zombies. Mm. And yep. they are a bastard to kill. Absolute bastard. I remember them being particularly difficult in the first Resident Evil game. But they are just as bad in Resident Evil 2. And they have this nasty habit of doing a lunge at the last yeah. minute. And, oh, Jesus. Needless to say, they killed me. But thankfully, I'd saved the security office. So um, it didn't set me back too much. But so frustrating. Because, of course, you don't need to go back there once you've left Sherry. And presumably Ada. You don't need to go back there at all. I had annoying experience with the Ivies because... I hadn't played Resident Evil 2 for five years or something, so I'd booted up the B scenario that was saved, but I had no idea what I'd done in the A scenario. But it turns out I must have activated the P Epsilon gas in the first scenario, which meant all the Ivies were poisonous in this one that I played through. And it's a bit of a a cheat, really, because when you kill the zombies, they don't respawn, but when you kill the Ivies, they do respawn. Because I tried running past them and I got poisoned and this was on my way to the final battle where Ada is quote-unquote killed by the T-103. And I got poisoned and I realised I had no security boxes because the only one was in the security room where Sherry was in and it was locked and I couldn't get back to it. So I backtracked all the way to one of the researchers' dormitories where there was permanent blue herb in, killed the ivies, got me blue herb came back out again and the ivies had respawned and poisoned me again i don't like the whole respawning thing it just takes it away from the experience a little bit does that only happen with the epsilon gas though they're only poisonous if you switch the gas on yeah no i I mean the respawning because i I dispatched a couple of them for mine and i used the gas in the second playthrough to weaken them you know in scenario b i'd saved it yeah. And I killed a couple with flame rounds and they never came back. Yeah, like fire. Sure. Where they respawned, it was the west area corridor where the plant has taken over the dormitories. Mm. Yeah, that was there. It was yeah. Those are the ones I always get rid of in the corridor. Yeah, I'd killed them, went back, used the blue herb, came back out and they were both back there again. Yeah, possibly. Does the P Epsilon enhance the liquors in the scenario as well? I'm not sure off the top of my head. Although I, d- I did sort of realise there was a lot more than what I remembered. Enhanced liquors running round. But... Yes. <laughs> a really great design. A couple of good jump scares with them bursting through the vents as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Rob, did you find uh, any interesting points about the labs before we get to specifics? I feel like with Plains of Leon A, it's a very straightforward run through labs. It's, mm. it's a very straightforward. I think it's really the B scenarios that really start to add the nuance and other kind of back in. Although with Clear, I feel like Clear A's got a lot more going on, obviously, with the Sherry stuff. Whereas Leon's mission is very straightforward and then there's just the situation with Ada at the end. I, yeah, and it goes very fast. It's like what we were talking about before. It's, mm. it's a very straightforward, fast scenario. There's not really a lot to it. I mean, yeah, there's a reasonable amount of liquors and the, uh, it's nice getting to see the lab where Birkin was shot, like getting to that part and going, okay, now I understand. And the moth area as well, I forgot about the moth. Mm. Um, when I think about it until the last boss fight really it's not exactly a memorable section of the game it's all very bits are coming together storyline wise and there's a few files giving you a bit of background of the lab but it's not anything that you didn't feel like you're already learning as you knew that there was a lab connected earlier on because obviously the 
sewer sections start to talk about the connection between the city and the labs. So you're kind of waiting to get there. It's... What I did like was the fact that it contrasted quite well to the RE1 lab, which was very kind of run down, worn out, dank, whereas this was still very much a working lab. Yeah. And I just love the sound design as well. The noise as you walk along, like, you know, the central kind of corridors. And oh, that was really good. You just popped a thought in my head. Much like we were talking about with the RPD and its ability to be very difficult to get around, the labs kind of seem like that to me a bit too, because the main connecting elevator is out in the main entrance, yet they've got these stupid ladders everywhere. And <laughs> nobody's going to climb. Oh, Billy, can you go grab that uh, chemical blah, blah, blah downstairs? Uh, just climb down the ladder and. Uh, bring it back up with you don't worry about dropping that vial and killing a bunch of people it'll be fine it is just pretty ridiculous considering how big it is as well there's hardly any rooms or labs or experiment areas you know, no, it's just yeah. Birkin's lab isn't it's it? Birkin's <laughs> lab and there's like one surgical room and I think Outbreak and helped in that respect We'd add in a few extra floors with little laboratories and stuff in them. Yeah. I was going to say, um, you can't even say, oh, they could get about using the master elevator by the security room because I think when you click on it, it says it's not being used for a long time. They can't even use that. And equally, it's slightly flawed, as you said, how to get to it when you've got this over-elaborate secret entrance. And yet Enrico Marino was able to find the master elevator and pop down it and go, all right. <laughs> which I always found baffling, but there we go. But yes, I think Below Freezing Point certainly helped, and uh, having played Below Freezing Point sooner than I'd played Resident Evil 2, I'd forgotten about the frozen part in Resident Evil 2. Mm. And so I was like, oh yeah, yeah it wasn't frozen, wasn't it? <laughs> the last time I was there, it was frozen. Would have been nice to see the hunter, any form of hunter, either the 125 or... Um, I know we get the X-File, don't we, in, in the N64. Yeah, well, I was going to say, that's the thing that doesn't match up either, because the original version, it's not supposed to be a hunter in there, it's all G-research, so I think it's like the G-arm and G-items were supposed to be in those things. That's and right, yes. Because of the N64 version, we're putting the hunter in there, because obviously all the photos that you can get imply that it was all G-research research yeah it doesn't quite agree but then yes you don't get the hunter but then they added the hunters back in because of the n64 george what are your overall feelings of the lab section slightly bland although i'm trying to think maybe how how they could have been any better i think again they kind of maybe lacked that just extra environmental interaction that we got with the descriptions in the rpd you know explaining Mm. things and i might be wrong but i don't feel we got as much as that and there's actually i think really good opportunity for seeing you know the outbreak and panic that would have even been you know far worse in the labs i mean i suppose if the ivy are kind of like the signature enemy that we get in that area they were quite you know as compared to the hunters they were a big disappointment compared to the crimea i suppose Resident Evil one yeah oh very much so yeah, yeah. Um, a big disappointment they don't feel intimidating they're not particularly frightening and can we settle once and for all, does putting on the anti-BOW gas, the sprinkler, does that do anything? Yeah, we were just talking about this. So if you put it on the A scenario, then in the B scenario, the plants become poisonous. But if you put it on in the B scenario, you weaken the plants because they get weaker before they oh, tend to get back But we were also debating whether or not it impacts on the liquors, which I even I can't remember either. I, maybe it is similar. Maybe they become, do they, do they ever get poisonous? Well, they're Someone green. Does the, 
I was playing Leon A and my encounter with the liquors in the labs and I put the, the sprinkler system on, which didn't seem to have any effect on the ivy, but I come across the, the liquors, you know, they're green coloured. Well, theoretically, it shouldn't have any effect on the liquors because the evolved liquors are weaponized versions of the original creatures, so I don't think the gas should have any effect. Mm. Yes, um, just to talk of the liquors, because there's always been a bit of confusion about how early liquors appeared based on their appearance in the Outbreak and Hellfire scenario. I can't remember if there's a general consensus that those liquors are the same, because I think one of the operation reports shows the liquors are discovered quite early on in the outbreak in Raccoon City, which does correspond with their appearance in Hellfire, which is dated on the 24th, I think, of September. Yeah, it's just a design change. I think they're meant to be the same. Mm. I'm pleased they went back to the Resident Evil 2 variants. The Outbreak ones just look strange. Yeah. Okay, so character interactions in the lab is critical, and you get slightly different outcomes depending on who you're playing and what you're doing, all leading up to your big boss battle, whoever that will be with. So tell us what happens with Leon's. Well, Leon's on his own for the majority of the lab. Basically, when you've done everything you need to do and you're going back up towards the furnace, you meet Annette who is about to kill you and then the T-103 drops between you and you're forced to fight that and at that point I very nearly died because I was on red danger going into that fight Uh, but luckily the enhanced Magnum four shots with that took it down before it could get one hit on me so luckily I managed to survive that fight and then from there you go to the furnace and obviously that's where Ada comes and rescues you from the tyrant and it gets knocked into the lava. Yes, in Claire A we see the, the end of Annette being uh, disemboweled by her husband before giving you a a handy guide as to how to uh, prepare a G-virus sample. She just happens to have it on her. (laughs) I like the fact that there's a G-sample crushed next to her. I thought that was quite cool. We don't worry about that. That could be potentially toxic, but, you know, whatever. We just see that purple vial. It's the crazy fact that, like, Birkin was obviously shot and dying and injected himself with the G-virus and the nets has just been gutted but still is alive and could have easily ended up doing a similar thing, but even by accident, potentially. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true, that's a good point. I know if I'm confusing myself. In that cut scene with Birkin you were mentioning, and he injects himself, the upshot of that, don't you see his briefcase falls? And the vials that are smashed, and, you know, when Hunk's like, you know, careful, you'll hit the sample. Yeah. Was there some debate in the past as to whether those were T-virus and G-virus, or whether they were just G-virus? Because then don't we no, see that? that it, it's both. It's clearly both in there. Yeah, he ingests he, the G-virus and smashes the T-virus. Smashes the T-virus, which is what re- helps increase yeah. the T-virus outbreak in the city. Because mm. that's where they went on that basis of the scenario and outbreak, where they said, you know, the rats carried the virus because they ate the virus they yeah. smashed. Because it would seem to make um, sense to me that, that you see the rats eating those vials, but I don't know, just in terms of what he's saying in the story at the time, it seems that really he'd only be carrying G-Virus with him, surely. No, no I, I think it's because the lab does research based on everything, and he had samples with him of the other virus as well, just because. Okay. Because that T-Virus strain is a new strain as well, because that's the strain that yeah. creates the liquors rather than the crimson heads. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. that T-virus sample obviously went to Sheena Island at some point as well, I would imagine. That became the common one, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, anyone have any problems with the moths? Yeah, you can oh, man. Us. I mean, I, yeah. I killed the one in the um, computer room just because. Because I went into the computer room on Leon A, and I was really down on ammo, and I wasn't going to waste my last bullets on clearing the terminal, so I went all the way back to get the knife. <laughs> and I ended up I ended up getting killed by the giant moth. That's the one thing I found frustrating in this game is the knife does I and mean, you try killing a zombie with this knife. 
and it, it just takes forever. You have and to the, if you want the uh, closet key. I was going to ask, I couldn't remember because I did the fingerprint thing. For the life of me, I couldn't actually remember what you got if you then did it with Leon in scenario B. Is it the closet key? What, the computer thing? You've got to get your fingerprint registered, don't you? Yeah, it just gives you access to Birkin's lab. You get the second uh, submachine gun magazine. Submachine gun. It gives you access to the thing upstairs with the, yeah, with the machine gun. Is that what's it? Oh, is that what's in it? The sub, the sub, Which the is where your hunter is and your EX file in the N64 version. After you've put in the Nemesis password, not guessed. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, that's good, that's cool. Now, the closet key, Nick, you got from um, not picking up any items on the way to the police station. Police station, until you got there, and yeah. You have to kill Brad Vickers, but you'll always run out of bullets because he's, like, extra tough, so you have to use the knife to finish him off. Oh, didn't know that. And then you get the closet key and another pistol for Claire, is it? You get the revolver, don't you? Yeah, the six yeah revolver, yeah. Six and did, yeah. did Leon pick up the Magnums? The what? The Magnums. Magnums. The Magnum ammo, yeah. It's, it's a mistake. It's just a typo. It's a cheap weapon, that enhanced Magnum as well. It's so oh, ridiculous. It's cool, right? You can get uh, like four zombie headshots. With yeah. One <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, actually, going back to that, I remember when it came out in 98, just being like floored by the amount of like deconstruction you could do on the enemies, like mm. with the enhanced weapons, like especially the um, enhanced That's shotgun, cool. and you would go aim for the head and you'd take off like an arm, half the body, and the. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was just going to say one last thing about the moths. I still, even now, just thinking about it, I just hate the sound of that moth. I just hate it. Just the sound of it drives me crazy. But again, that's speaking well of the sound design, and it's going back to what we're talking mm, about with the yes. lickers and all that, and the dogs and everything. It's just just that sound of them scuttering around and flapping their wings and stuff. Oh gosh. Stuff of so, nightmares. Stuff of nightmares. <laughs> so we're building up to the big boss battles. Uh, we'll start with scenario A, simply because B's got two, and the better one, let's be honest. So we'll, we'll get the worst one out of the way. So Birkin G4, the kind of wolf man. Bastard of a fight, that is. Honestly, first I, I totally forgot that you still fight him as Goro for a bit. I know he only takes a three shots or something. And then I thought, oh, good, yeah, now he's mutating. I used to think that was really, really easy. Couldn't remember having problems, but bloody hell, if you are on on caution, no chance. He can he one-shot you, I think, on caution, can't he? Yeah. He scoops you up. Yeah, and he, he ravaged like, you. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. I, thought, you know, I was well-equipped at this point. You know, I had a grenade launcher. I was full with acid rounds, flame rounds. I even had a bit of the submachine gun left, so I thought, fine. Rest was just full of health. thought, this is not going to be a problem. I'm good to go. I think it was the sixth time I finally killed him because of the relentlessness of his attacks jumping down and they're not being able to fire him because he would just jump off the containers in the middle and then as soon as you got down a caution he'll jump down and do that ravaging attack and I, I was stumped for a while I was going this is just not working and I was getting really annoyed but eventually he got cornered and he um, for whatever reason he couldn't escape probably a glitch in the game and so I was able to fetch him off but it was um, a lot more intense than I remember it being <laughs> I mean there's the thing just running from corner to corner taking a shot running yeah. to corner taking a shot is generally the easiest way to try and avoid that i think people try to stand and and line up a shot and wait for him to come too much and it's really not the case you've got to keep moving it's really the only way to to keep that going it's kind of quite reminiscent actually when you think about it of the tyrant fight at the end of the first game that you kind of 
get yourself to a position and make sure you're clear to take mm. your shots. And then if he gets too close, you move away and, and do it again. But it's I, just I that found it... the enemy is much faster than the time. Sure. But I also found it quite difficult because of the lack of kind of auto aim and the camera yeah. angles were not always helpful. But it's good. It's, it's deserving of the end of the game, or at least so you think at that point in time. I enjoyed it. It was a good battle, leading to obviously Claire's or Leon's escape question i think i've watched that video a few times i still don't quite know how they made it on the train i was trying to judge the speed of the train the view of claire or leon then looking to see oh there's the gap i don't think she makes it or if she did make it she would be severely injured at the speed the train was going she would have jumped on the gap and then been flown back into the train causing huge amounts of pain for her she wouldn't do it anyway but then... it's just a game man <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like when all those things in the movies uh, well, if it jumped at that angle and, uh, yeah, it wouldn't quite make it off that platform. You have to be, like, the fastest man possible. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, a scenario is not particularly exciting because you kind of end the game at that point and, you know, you go out with a blaze of glory. What you don't know is what's going on with B, which is far more exciting, with probably the best tyrant in the series and the best music as well. You'll like this because I played through the entire game without saving. No! I, I have some sort of OCD problem with Resident Evil 2 because it's not a particularly long game and it's one of the easiest ones. I never save it. I don't know why. And it, I always get caught every single time. I had loads of herbs, plenty of ammo, so I thought, right, I'll go and kill this bastard. And, <laughs> and uh, That sounded so northern. And then <laughs> yeah, kill this bastard. He had to drop the rocket launcher, so everything was going great. And then somehow <laughs> I, I missed with both shots. <laughs> oh my god! I, I've never done that before. That's why I was chuckling to myself when you were talking about auto aim before, because I obviously didn't have it, and I missed with both shots. So I had like four minutes left on the countdown, and about fifty enhanced magnum guns that I, that I banged into him, and obviously that was never going to work. So eventually, he just wore down all my health and gutted me. <laughs> oh, brutal! <laughs> End of game. You didn't go back and start it again after that, though. No, 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 I, no, I, no. I destroyed my console pretty much. <laughs> But it's a harder fight as Leon as well, because am I right in thinking Leon's run speed is slightly slower than Claire's? Just a fraction. I don't know. <sighs> Struggle with it as Leon, and I never get hit as Claire. Part of it's the setup of that angles and that scenario, like that layout is, again, supposed to be reminiscent of the uh, helipad battle in the first game, obviously. But I just feel like the angles are very ruthless for, like, he just slashes in, you know, slides in, and it's quite unforgiving. It's a great fight, though, the music and the build-up. Oh, that music is just epic. And I'd also like to congratulate Capcom on doing it. And it's still a beautiful scene when he comes out of the lava, you know, the molten pit, wherever it is. And it's not done in a kind of FMV cutscene. It still no. looks brilliant in the kind of in-game video. And that's a compliment, even after all these years, that it still looks and has that epic feel, even though it's horrendously pixelated. It just does not matter. Do you appreciate the subtlety of it versus the massive smelting plant that they have in Darkseid? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where they're leaping between platforms and everything. But I think I've erased that from my mind. Well, it's a the, good the thing, Nick, that there's a remake just around the corner <laughs> to remind you. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, it's a shame, really, that the Tyrant fight is so good that it kind of makes the bolted-on ending with Birkin kind of underwhelming. Because if you've saved a rocket and some machine gun ammo, you just fire one rocket and just fire the machine gun till it dies. Game ends. Yes, yeah. Birkin G5 has never been particularly difficult because you can't miss him. I do wonder why they saved that for B scenario and why we couldn't have had it in A scenario. 
I suppose it's, it's, it's the true end of the game, isn't it? It's the true end of the, yeah, exactly, the finality of because you want that belief that they got away on the train, which I think is a clever little switch. It's a nice little last-minute twist because the, the cutscene starts the same way and you think, okay, cool, it's going to wrap up and you're going to see the rest of the cutscene and it's going to continue and then all of a sudden it does continue, but it's like, oh, actually, no, there's another fight for you. And yeah, yeah no, I mean, true. especially back in that pre, as we were talking about, in those pre-magazine, pre-internet days, as it was, finding out there was a second scenario and then finding that, like, you think, oh, well, you've had this big boss battle and with both of them and you think, yep, they're both gone now because obviously the other scenario, I'd beaten Birkin and in this one I've got the tyrant, so sweet, cool, defeated, done, and then no. <laughs> no, still one more. I enjoyed the interactions between Leon and Claire on the train, even if Leon was a bit over the top, I think, with... She's not waking up! He changes his mind instantly, because he, he, like, comes along and says, oh, it's over, and then Claire goes, no, we have to find my brother, and he's like, you're right, this is you're just... Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he more means in the sense that it's over currently the events that they've just yeah. gone through. Oh my God, thank God that's over. And then she's like, no, it's not. And then he's actually like, oh yeah, you're kind of right. There is a bigger picture here going on that I'm not really thinking about. Claire's final line in her B scenario is a better lead into Code Veronica as well than Leon's generic takeout umbrella line. I had this disagreement. I don't know if you guys saw it on Biohaze. There was that thread about the best and worst of the series. I made that comment that we've talked about how having a consistent bad guy has been a, you know, a an issue in recent years and the detriment about having it but I said it wasn't any better than the fact that Capcom couldn't decide how they were to approach the fact that they made an evil corporation and how that had to be figureheaded and they'd thought about it in the early days you know having like Spencer and all that sort of stuff but they never really put it into any action so these endings where it's like we have to take that umbrella just continue to be falsity it's not going anywhere because there was nowhere to direct that energy at and so it wasn't surprising when the resolve of Resident Evil 4's opening was just basically go and umbrella doesn't exist anymore you know like there was nowhere to take it at that point the difference being is that it's still one global company of Umbrella and yeah it's all take down Umbrella and you're kind of seeing different facets of it whether that be Vincent on Sheena or Birkin or the Ashfords you you know it didn't matter because it was still under the Umbrella guys and in Resident Evil 2 of course you've got you know other names like Charles Coleman and God knows what all these people that aren't on screen that are still behind the scenes that's the the absurdity of it because the thing is as I was saying before the game does a really great job of making you realise how big Umbrella actually is and how much power it wields so to turn around and immediately say let's go take down Umbrella well it's such an obvious point but at the same time there's so many facets to that that how you were going to achieve that it's not like it's a direct goal it's not like oh, oh well if i do this one thing that'll take down everything it'll have a domino effect no it's obviously not the case whereas obviously a connection point to claire finding her brother is a much more yeah obvious goal like it's a path and, and that's why you were saying it's a better ending because it's a much more direct response just as a question to you rob because you would have been a you know the forefront of the law back then it seems obvious now of course but at the end of resident evil 2 nothing's really been destroyed apart from birkin's lab which is on the outskirts was there a lot of discussion afterwards going um there's still quite a lot of zombies roaming around raccoon city yeah because the idea was that obviously um what happens in three with the with the city being bombed but everyone was like well obviously there's got to be cleanup squads or there's got to be others and the other idea that people were saying at the time was that there's got to be other survivors stories which again they eventually went down that path without break in a way and so there was that discussion but then i mean like we were talking about the minute details people get i mean for ages it was to, to everyone it seemed so well for a lot of people it seemed so obvious that the person who throws you the rocket launcher at the end of the scenario is Ada. 
Yeah, pretty straightforward question. That didn't seem like it was much of a question. They tried to make it mysterious, but it's pretty obvious it's her character model and her voice. Yet people were debating it endlessly. Like, it was one of those stupid things that should never have needed to be debated for hours. But I remember for months and months and months, even after Resident Evil 3 came out, people were still going on about it. And they would find all these little things throughout the game that people would just spend their time nitpicking and debating. And then they would miss the bigger picture. And so there would be some people talking about this thing, about, well, what does it mean for the city and still zombies and creatures of the city, like, just because they've escaped? How do we not know? I mean, if there's a Birkin and a Tyrant, it just so happens that that's what Leon and Claire run across but who knows what else is in there and obviously also the idea that obviously the uh, mr x unit got dropped off and you saw several canisters so people yeah, talked yeah. about the concept behind that they're like well if they drop one off there then i'm guessing they must be dropping other ones off in the city so what happens with those it was a pain in the ass to kill one of them like dear god there's several others you know like there was a lot of discussion about those things but that was really great i really want to say this and people are going to bulk at it but i want to say post resident evil 2 probably up until code veronica was probably the biggest engagement capcom had with with the fans as far as people being invested in the series because the second game was such a smash hit first game had done so mm. well but the second one just the conversation and domination of how it was combined with the timing and where we were as far as the internet was like in the early day, earlier days of the internet it just was that right time to be having those sorts of discussions and it lasted for, for a few years do you remember the excitement of like the fact that the, the series was branching like simultaneously so you had like Resident Evil 3 coming out which was exploring Jill's story you had Code Veronica exploring Claire and Chris's and it was it was a really great time well it wasn't just that we had survivor coming and you know there was another story going on there um at the time we knew zero was in development because they'd announced that, that was going to happen and resident evil 2 was being ported to the n64 so we had a backstory that was going to flesh out a bit more of umbrella but that was the intent so there was a lot of buzz for a good time probably from resident evil 2 right through to early 2000 and then after code veronica came out everyone's still kind of excited but then the development problems happened before and things kind of slowed down and it was a fits and starts kind of thing it was there was a lull there for a few years until the mm. remakes and four came out and then it kind of it was revigorized for a while and then died off but it never quite reached that same peak of discussion no. that kind of happened post resident evil 2 and then right up to code veronica through three and everything where it seemed like anything was possible yeah it's interesting replaying it now i'm not really thinking about it in those terms but it's a very valid point it just seemed like it opened a much bigger picture than we had really established like it was very easy to say well the first game is all very much self-contained and the bad guys were bad guys but you didn't know the extent of beyond what they were doing outside of the mansion and you had an understanding obviously they had certain level of pull and control in raccoon city from like newspaper clippings and so forth but resident which really started to flesh that out and then the scenarios themselves added to the idea, like what I was talking about with the Mr. X units, like there is other potentials for other stories or other stuff going on in the city, which Resident Evil 3 did take on board, but at the same time definitely gave fidelity to because it decided to turn the city into a giant crater. So, Well, you've got to remember, of course, in Resident Evil 2, you're actually seeing an active umbrella with the deployment of Tyrant, whereas in Resident Evil 1, it's just old stuff that's all kind of um, that's been left there. You know, that tyrant has been in suspended animation almost since what we subsequently find out since like 1991 or whatnot. So it's, you know, it's just old stuff. And, and, you know, the the way you explore it is all very dank and grey and dreary. And, you know, perhaps this is just something they're doing. But in Resident Evil 2, you see them 
purposely deploy these, uh, you know, these tyrant. They seem to Hunkin has. And Hunk, yeah. This umbrella's got a an armed response unit. Um, okay, you know, and um, it's a military squad that's, you know, there's obviously got, you know, that's part of it as well. The whole tipped off about what Birkin was planning on doing, you know, and so they go in to try and rectify the situation, which creates a bigger situation, obviously, at the time, but. Yeah, those are all little story beats that build up the scale of Umbrella and its operations and its manipulations. And, and everyone was very enthused you know, about the world had just opened up so massively, just yeah. so fast. Perfect sequel. It really is. It still feels indebted to the original game. It still feels connected to the original game, but it's its own thing as well. Like The great thing you could say about it is you could play the second game and not have played the first and yeah. it doesn't really change things. You you get enough of a story beat in the opening to tell you this is what happened in the first game, plus the dialogue about them not being listened to and the little mm-hmm. hitch you can get looking on the star's office. And the only other thing you need to know is that Claire and Chris are related. That's it. That's literally yeah. it. Everything else is self-contained. That was my experience. I played RE2 first, and that was the genius of not using the you know the original cast you have this brand new cast and so yeah you're not alienated but i just remember just being very intrigued about playing the first game obviously because this was a sequel but other than that it didn't take any enjoyment away from the game at all right with that in mind going back to a kind of original point then how has this game aged has everyone enjoyed it and where does it score in their country you know what what score would you give it um now is the nostalgia goggles quite strong on this or does it still stand up on its own two feet try to avoid comparisons to uh impending remake two uh, <laughs> <laughs> as batman what's your what's your kind of overall views then and um where it stands i still really enjoy it i really enjoyed this playthrough like i said before i've not played it for a few years i still like the old camera angles and that but it does feel a bit dated now i think i've recently said resident evil 7 has probably eclipsed resident evil 2 in my personal top three and after this playthrough even though i really enjoyed it i still think i like 7 just that little bit more however i'd still say it's a 10 out of 10 game for me i've always loved it up until the last few years i've tried to play it semi-regularly the story still holds up the graphics are terrible now and that's the only way i would ever sort of justify why we need a remake but I just wish there was something that could do with the original assets. Mm. I know they've lost them. I know they don't have the high-res versions of the backgrounds anymore, but if they could have done anything with it, I would have liked this particular version of the game just touched up somehow. Mm. But uh, I'd still give it a 10 out of 10. It's still, like Rombie said, it's pretty much the perfect sequel. I think um, all that, although I, I actually still think the visuals hold up if you play something like a Dreamcast version or something. I know the backgrounds are lower resolution compared to others in the series, but they don't bother me. I enjoy it still to this day. I think the game itself, I absolutely loved it. To me, it's not dated, but then I, I you know, I don't have a problem playing retro games. And I know people of today would probably think it looks like one pixels on the screen at a time, but to me, it, it represented a turning point in the industry of uh, narrative-based gaming and without it and you know things like Metal Gear Solid like we discussed earlier uh, without games like Resident Evil 2 the gaming industry could possibly be a different place Uh, Kamiya really was a visionary with the things he did there I think it's a bit of a shame that people like him aren't celebrated more in the series like um, they do Mikami I think the game for me personally and this is why I'm so totally anti-remake the game is a timeless masterpiece and it honestly breaks my heart and I'm not going to get into a rant or anything like that but it just breaks my heart that so many people want to see a remake because I hate using this cliche because it's used far too much now but the game is a lightning in a bottle for me it really is awesome 
Uh, a score? Um, and it's an easy, it's a, it's such easy. easy, effortless turn. George <laughs> cool. Trevor? Yeah, I like what the star says. It, it is a timeless masterpiece, but I still, for me, for the first time with these playthroughs, I would like to see not a remake, but just some sort of remaster. I don't know why they couldn't literally recreate it if they wanted to from base up, just to ha- how it, it played on the PC or just with that slightly more retro look. The actual mechanics of the gameplay, the fixed camera angles, I don't get tired by. I just get frustrated by, you know, the clunky controls, the lack of the 180 spin. RE3 is fine for me as kind of a base level of graphics, but RE2 is too rough around the edges. I'd like to see those backgrounds because they're wonderful. They're so detailed. If you look at some of the outside areas in the distance, like the, the hills and and when you see some of the facilities from, from afar, I was stopping and actually looking. And even on the streets, the buildings that are in the background and the foreground, but it did feel a little dated for the first time for me. And so for that reason, I'd like to see a, a remaster, not a remake. So if I was giving it a review for these playthroughs, it's still a, a masterful game, but I would give it eight out of 10. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm on a similar page as you run. I mean, I kind of get the idea of a lightning bottle because I think, as I said before, a lot of it is the right thing at the right time. And, and that goes also into the way that it was appreciated with the fans and the way it's sold. And it's hard to quantify. As far as playing it, now I have those little niggles. I mean, playing on a Vita was pretty good, as we've talked about before. It's kind of it's very clean and pops on the screen because you know it's only a certain level of screen real estate. The controls are the controls. I mean, yeah, not having a 180 turn is an issue, but at the same time, it was what it was at the time, and I'm kind of okay with that. The story is and the characters and the world building is where it really holds up for me, and it just it is as I said before, it is a really amazing sequel to take something that was so beloved and actually improve upon it. And almost every fashion and still not lose what made the original game so different and important as well which is not an easy ask it's not an easy ask of any game or, or any sequel of anything you know books movies whatever the fact that it continued to propel the series i mean it was a, a game series as well that if the original had sold not so great it would have been a one and done deal and then they it sold really well so they made a sequel but that sequel and the whole purpose of why they scrapped 1.5 was because they were like if we made this game we would have released it and that would have been it. The chances of making another one after that probably would have been almost non-existent. So even the process of the development behind it, it tells its own truth. The fact that it turned out so amazingly, given the turmoil of production, is also a, a testament to how much work was put into it and what was thought about it and, and how it goes. Uh, as far as score goes, I'm still getting a bit of 10 out of 10 for the same reason. It's just as great to revisit it now as it was. Not everything holds up because things do age. But as a playable experience, as a craft, as a story, and then keeping in mind its limitations of its time, it's yeah, it's just that good, good stuff. From my point of view, as I've mentioned earlier, I, I did it in slightly different order by playing one, three, then two. So it's never been quite in the same league, in my opinion. I think, as I've said earlier, the it's always been slightly lower on my on my overall games. So I approached it with a, a degree of trepidation. We've mentioned about the controls and indeed for what they are, and it did make it a bit clunky. But once I was at the RPD, I was in and totally absorbed into the Resident Evil world all over again. And I was experiencing Resident Evil as I remember, even though I know the game pretty well. I was still having jump moments. I was still having that kind of feeling of not wanting to carry on, that annoyance of dying and then starting again from a save point as opposed to a retry just from the door that you've just entered. And, you know, that's why we love Resident Evil 7, because it kind of invoked those feelings and it was wonderful to go back. And I have had a thoroughly enjoyable time, more so than I think when I originally played it for the first time, because I was happy with the controls eventually and the the graphics just didn't bother me. 
I wouldn't ever recommend playing on PlayStation 3. Play it on PlayStation 2 for that slightly lower resolution but better better lighting. And as a result, I, I can't remember what score I actually gave it originally, but I found the whole process to be a joy. And I think as you get older, I found that I enjoyed the characterization and the world building and the files in particular so much more rewarding than I used to. And um, I can't recommend it enough. And unlike the first game, which even by year 2000, it was creeping on needing a remake because it was too bright. The original game, it was too bright. It, it didn't quite have the scare factor as much as it ought to have done. And you can see where the game series was going. I don't think this needs a remake. I don't think it's crying out for a remake. And, and I would support what George says about a remaster. I would give it a 9.5 out of 10. Anyway, with that, that does conclude the discussion on Resident Evil 2 replay mode. I hope you've uh, enjoyed it. But we now move on to this podcast edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. New season. You answers. They're probably you. So welcome, we have a Resident Evil 2 themed quiz, relatively easy, I think, I'm expecting high schools from everyone, so if everyone can clear their desktops, you can open up Notepad, let's crack on. Question number one, one point available but potentially half marks, what is the number of the bus you enter in Resident Evil 2 and where is it going? Fucking hell, that's a a veto question. No. (laughs) The bus at the beginning. Ooh, actually, I might have a <laughs> on something something else I just remembered, if I'm remembering this correctly. It's not a fair question for us B-scenario players. Touche, <laughs> 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 touche. <laughs> uh, okay, question number two. According to the file, who is the vice president of USA Umbrella? Good <laughs> know. Question number three. Which of the RPD precinct keys only opens one room? <laughs> Got one in four chance. Question number four. What was the name of the gas station in the opening FMV? Depending on how close people get, there may be some points available for that one. And finally, question number five. What creatures greet you when you crawl through the ventilation duct in Birkin's lab? Apologies, this is part A again. I want specifics. Okay, so that concludes our questions. Join us after this one. We'll run through the answers. 
So welcome back. Let's see how everyone's does. So question number one was, what is the name of the bus you entered in Resident Evil 2 and where was it going? Uh, George, we'll start with you. That was a veto question. I've got no idea. Is that the one where you get on it and there's like a crawling zombie and then yeah, there's a guy? And I think I read somewhere that in a beta version or something, Dario Wasso's die was meant to be in that briefcase or something was meant to be in that briefcase. No, I've got no idea. Any guesses of numbers? You can have a number guess. Oh, um, two, four, nine. Okay. Uh, Batman? No idea. Number 70, and it's going downtown. <laughs> when you're alone. I won't sing. Uh, Rombi? <laughs> I can't remember that. I was going to say downtown or uptown. Like it was, I was like, 50-50, I'm just going downtown, and I numbers, no, no clue. I had this thought in my head that there was a speed reference that they'd used the same number of the bus from speed, but I don't think that's accurate at all. <laughs> it might be, I don't know. I don't it's the same it. same type of bus from speed, it was, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I was thinking about it, because I was like, it's the same type. I think that's what they modelled it off. Okay, I actually remember the bus name from the number from speed. I believe it's 5555, isn't it? I don't know. It's going to Stoneville. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um, the bus number was... 33, sadly, so ah. no points there. And everyone was toying between uptown or downtown. It was midtown. So, ah. <laughs> uh, so I'm afraid there. But there we go. So, uh, I think enough, we should... I just looked it up. The bus and speed, the number is 2525. 25. However, the, the route number is 33, and it's going to downtown. Oh. Ah. I knew it had something to do with it. <laughs> Damn it. I wish I could have remembered that number. It would have been great. <laughs> yeah, right. So question number two, I think we'll get some points here. Who is the vice president of USA Umbrella? Rombi? No idea. I'm terrible with names. It could have been anything. Uh, okay. George Trevor, did you know this one? No, and I couldn't even remember the file. Okay. Uh, I think Batman will probably know. Stars Tyrant, did you know? I do not, I do not know. It's a blank, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah. Batman put him out of the misery? Joel Alman. Is the correct answer. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, good, very good. We never know what happens to him. Who knows? But there we go. Question number three, which was the only uh, precinct door key that opened only one room? I think I know this. Oh, for confidence, go for it. I was just playing that. Is it the heart key uh, near where Bats was mentioning you get the uh, valve handle in the back office? You know, just out there, there's a door on the left. Yeah, the heart yeah. key. Okay, uh, start I had heart key and it is that door I was thinking of. So you get to the basement. I said heart key, but I thought it was the door to the file archive room in the B Uh, scenario. Uh, Rumbi? I I had heart key as well. I think it was just the back door leading downstairs. Yes, so points for all is the heart key. Well done, well done. It was, yeah, it's the back door. But that that wasn't part of the question, but yeah, that's right. Very good. Points all around there. Question number four What was the name of the gas station in the opening FMV? It's Mm. quite tricky, Rombie. Nah, I haven't got it. I was trying to think. I know the logo, but like the name can't remember. Oh fuck! No, because I've been sitting here really smug. I know it, but then I just realised I'm thinking of the thing that blew up in RE3, Stagler. <laughs> That's oh shit. The reason why I know the logo is I know it's a likeness for uh, it is. for yeah. another brand. Yeah. And this is this is the thing I know, and and I can't remember how it's worded. It's a it's a take on. A yeah. brand, and if I say it, you guys might get it, so I'm not going to say it. Because <laughs> if I say what the actual company is, then it'll probably get, tip it off and someone will remember, so I'm not going to say anything. Shall I go next, because I'm guessing? Okay, that's very noble of you, George. Go on then. Well, because I was thinking, like, Texaco or something. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. But Texaco's real, isn't it? 
Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. it begins with T as well, though. I just, yeah. It's like almost a misspelling of Texaco. I'm normally really bad at these, but I've studied that cutscene. Is it? Because there's an X in it as well. I'm going to say Taxico. Okay. Start, start. I oh, see. I thought it. Haven't they just swapped the C with the G so it's Texaco? So it's literally Texaco, but with a G instead of a C. Okay. Uh, Batman? I think it's Taxago. Oh, you fucking what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a guess, then, I think. Points to Batman. Hey. Isn't that what I said? What did I say? No, this one I had to be careful. You said Texaco. He said Taxico. That's what, yeah. Taxico. But it's Texago. It's a combination of both mine and yours, George. Okay. Bloody hell. God damn it. See, I knew it was, I started this whole thing off. I was like, I knew it was like Texaco, but like, I couldn't remember what order it was. And I was like, I'm just going to say it. And then everyone's going to have all these variations. I should have just said it anyway. And finally, question number five. What creatures greet you when you crawl through the ventilation duct in Birkin's lab? Uh, Batman, we'll start with you for this one. Hang on. Which ventilation duct are you talking about? Uh, the <laughs> one um, after the where you put the gas. Um, I believe it's two evolved liquors. Okay. George? Yeah, I was a bit confused what you meant. Is this the one when you light the fuel and then you know, right. just be able to burn the plant? Oh, well, yeah, it's the two, the two greenish coloured liquors are in there. Okay, start turn. Two enhanced liquors. Um, Rob? Same thing. Two liquors. Enhanced. Ooh, you're lucky you got that last word in there because I wanted very specific. It is the enhanced liquors. It's always very memorable because if you've got the super shotgun, you can kill them both in like two blasts. Oh, can you? Oh, there yeah. we go. One shot takes out both of them. Yeah, so I was trying to catch people up by saying liquors, but I wouldn't have allowed that. It nearly fell to my trap there. Rombi, let's have <laughs> a look. <laughs> look at the final score. Some points on the board for everyone. This week's winner is Batman with three out of five. Second place, joint second for everyone else with George, Stars and Rombi, all with two points apiece. So, well done. That does conclude uh, this edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Uh, Join us next time when we'll have some more questions. There we go. Thanks very much uh, for playing, chaps. It was always a pleasure. Some good questions there, I felt. Um, yeah, the good quiz questions. Not too bad. When we return, when will that be? We do not know. The fact that we've been away for a while, and in that time there has been no news. Resident Evil news is scarce on the ground. Um, I suspect we may see something at E3. Can I just ask, does anyone notice that there's the Twitter account? It's the Capcom R&D development and that recently tweeted out that <coughs> some RE2 remake news coming after such a long delay, that there was something uh, coming. I thought it was more vague than that. I didn't think it was RE2 remake. And I did see that. Oh, was it a big they... announcement? Oh, so it, was right. just, it was just like they were hinting at something coming, and it was yeah. the dev team one. That's group. it, you're right. So, whether or not, I think there's people reading into what that could potentially be. It's obviously something, and they're always working on something. Yeah. So, that was the one that caused all that, the kerfuffle in January when it looked like they were going to announce something, and there was a picture with a typewriter and a finger, and then nothing happened. And they were like, oh, sorry, we were just goofing around. So it was the same. <laughs> so, we, we still got a uh, number of discussions. We're, we're going to be doing a podcast at some point on the voice of Gaia and or the experience, depending on how that goes. Uh, and whether there's enough to talk about um, 
my initial uh, information leads me to believe there's not a lot to talk about with the voice of Gaia. I, I still need to get through the, the next 45 minutes of that. But we will keep you posted because I think these replay throughs, if you like, has been quite popular. We may do that with other with other games as well. So with that in tow, we'll keep you posted. And thank you very much for listening. And it's goodbye for me, Neptune. Goodbye for me, Batman. Goodbye for me, Star Siren. Goodbye for me, George Trevor. And goodbye for me, Robbie. Hey, it's up to us to take out Umbrella. Hey.